verse 9? Yeah, chapter 3, verse 9. Yes. Okay, so key Goel, right? Now go to the next time you see Goel. And it should be in verse 11. You see that? <laughs> oh, wait. Thir Thirteen. Sleek eye. No, no, no. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> wow. Verse twelve. Yeah. Okay, so from... Yes, so the first time that Ruth says, I am your redeemer. She says, spread your t your cloak over me. And then verse nine is where she says, spread your cloak over me. Three, nine. Okay. And then in verse 12, Boaz himself says, it is true that I am your redeemer. So you got Ruth saying you're my redeemer and Boaz saying, yes, I am your redeemer. Okay. So now the interesting part is what he says right before he says, I'm your redeemer is in the end of verse 11. Or yeah, the end of verse 11, he says, you are a worthy woman. The Hebrew says, ki eshet chayil et like you are an olive tav eshet chayil or you're a you're a woman of valor olive tav which remember the eshet chayil prayer from Mishlei 31 goes from olive to tav Okay. Now the interesting thing about this is if you take the last letter of Ki Eshet Chayil Et, you get the word Talit. You got a Tav, which is interchanged from the letter Tet, because Talit is spelled with a Tet. But if you interchange out the Tet for Tav, which you can do grammatically, you have Tav Lamed Yod Tav, which is Talit. So when you have the two redeemers book ending, the Talit that's in the middle, that's a hoopa. Because on the four corners of the hoopa, you have what's holding up the Talit, the four posts. Obviously, and the talit represents the mitzvahs. So a virtuous woman is one who obeys all the mitzvahs. Right, all of the top. All of the top, yeah, and not 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 an incomplete, but a complete. So I just saw that when I was looking at Ruth, and I was like, "Oh my word!" <laughs> oh, and for some reason, there's an enlarged noon in verse thirteen. When he's when it says Lini, 
So, the other time we see an enlarged noon is in the 13 attributes of Hashem. When it says that he's a notzer, when he's a guardian. So I don't know if there's any uh, commentary on verse 13, but that's crazy. has something on if it says that whenever he says state it says Lani Hallelujah stay the night stay over one more night without a husband mm-hmm. so which kind of means that almost like the next day it says like stay over one more night without a husband the next day would have been the marriage right well it's almost the uh, concept of Shimini Atzeret where Hashem says, stay one more day with me after the wedding week. Yeah. So this staying one more day is before the wedding. So this is on the other side of it. So like, um, basically, starting Shabbat early. Right. And the beautiful thing about it is he still did not eat the fruit from the tree. Until it was time. Mm. Right. So, I don't know what this source is, but um, the enlarged noon, it says here that uh, there's a connection between the enlarged noon and Parsha Kitisa from Shemot 34.7. And Ruth 3.13. It says Hesed or Chesed is, of course, one of the main themes of Ruth. He comments, so is the origins of the Mashiach. So that noon, they're correlating to Chesed. And then it says the noon symbolizes the downfall of with simultaneous salvation, fruitfulness, and faithfulness leading to Mashiach, all of which apply to Ruth. So they're connecting Ruth to Mashiach with this enlarged noon. And what I'm thinking about is Mashiach with his Talmudim in the garden when he says, could you not just stay awake with me for one hour? Oh, yeah. So this is something called open source self root. I've never heard of this. What happened? Yeshua was the hundredth generation. What? 
Get out of here with that. Like, did you just do Gamatria? All right, I'm looking at 100 right now in the big book of numbers. Oh, how about this? The representation in the 100 daily blessings facilitate the flow of divine benevolence through which the 100 heavenly gates and down or through the 100 heavenly gates down into this world. So there's a hundred gates. There's a hundred silver sockets. Oh, oh, oh. Mashiach's a hundred. It's through the Mashiach that we enter through all the gates. That's right. The gates of all righteousness. The, oh, yeah. All the blessings come through. Yeshua. Mashiach. Okay. Each of these 100 gates represents the fount through which blessing would be channeled. And we remember that Hashem is called the fountain. So, okay, there's, all right. So then it says, the hundred gates of blessing are open specifically through the recitation of a hundred blessings. Torah relates that Yitzhak was born to his father, Abraham, at the age of 100 was most successful in the land of Pilishtim. He reaped 100 fold of crops described in the verse as Me'at She'arim. And if you look at Me'at She'arim, it literally can say from the Aleph Tav gates. If you look at the Hebrew. And then it says, here, all the 100 gates were opened and were assumed by Yitzhak, who benefited from this blessing on earth. So, you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, the Yitzhak benefited from these blessings because they were open to him? Yes. Does, 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 it mention, does it mention when or is it just like throughout his lifetime? Well, it says because of Abraham being 100. Oh. That that opened up the 100 gates for Yitzhak. Yitzhak born to his father over him. Okay, and okay. Also, and also, 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 the first offerings that they give for the tabernacle, the, the inaugural, inaugural offerings, um, they, they brought one silver bowl, it's weighing 130 shekels, and one silver basin, uh, of 70 shekels, that's 200. Yeah. And then there, uh, the 10 shekels. Because, I mean, this parish, uh, 
I mean, Nasa does kind of have something to do with Ruth because obviously Shavuot, War, right? Uh huh. You hear me? Is it 200? Just machine. You're talking about 200. Just machine. Salma, where'd you go? Oh, Saka, my bad. Can you hear me? Yes, you're talking about 200. So, what are you saying? No, I'm just putting it out there. Well, so, correct me if I'm wrong, but Naso is kind of like intrinsically related to Ruth. Um, Because they both. One happens during Shavuot, and the other one is Shavuot, kind of, in a way. Which one? No, well, not, not so. Every every year, it falls on Shavuot. Uh-huh. Right? So, I mean, this is kind of like the parish shop for Shavuot. I've been rude, so... Okay, but the and the interesting part is his offer Next week? the entire time mm-hmm. is offered twelve separate times. Like it, it lists out the exact amount twelve times. Yeah. For each tribe. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Man, add it up. Okay, so to tag back to Ayin Koak over here with this Mashiach 100. So if you look in the numbers, it says that Adam before the sin was like bigger than creation. And when he sinned, he was reduced in size to a hundred cubits. And then when you uh, when you look at when we say the 100 brakot that released the divine benevolence that we gain the stature back that Adam lost. So it says that uh, the daily 100 blessings offer protection against the 98 specific curses mentioned in the second Torah admonition to Yisrael, which was Devarim 29. And then it says that plus the two generalized categories of all ailments and afflictions, by ensuring that man constantly recognizes and thanks his creator in Hashemayim, the recitation of a hundred blessings offset the curses that distance man from God. So what we're doing is we're 
growing again to the size of a dumb before eating from the tree when we do the hundred brakot, which bring us close to Hashem. Which, if you think about Mashiach being the second Adam, he himself is the second Adam that is that stature that was lost due to sin. So it says that Adam before the sin was termed as from the earth up to the heaven he was designated to live up to the highest numeric denomination in the torah 1000 years so if you think about heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool from earth to heaven is the size of adam and mashiach being the second adam will be able to or he does uh span that width being that the earth is where he places his feet while he sits in the heavenlies. Keep working on this enlarged new. Okay. According to Yitzhak Ginsburg, Rav Yitzhak Ginsburg, who is, I believe, the one who did the wisdom of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, or Legend of the Jews or something. Oh, Louis Ginsburg did the Legend of the Jews. Yeah, Louis? Yeah. Okay. Ginsburg, yeah. Okay, so this is Yitzhak. So, Rob Yitzhak Ginsburg says the number 50 and the letter noon represent the Shekinah, who is the or origin of each soul of Israel. We count 50 days of the Omer between Pesach and Shavuot, which is when we read Megillah Ruth. We read it on this day because it documents Yichus. The pedigree of David HaMelech, who was born and Niftar on Shavuot. Yes, sir. And then it says, Shulchan Aruch and the Mishnah Baruah 490 verse 9 and She'are Teshuvah 49.3 or 494.3. The souls of Yisrael are kings and the children of kings. 
So Hashem says you should be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Then it says the heir to this throne is Mashiach, beginning with King David, the great grandchild of Ruth and Boaz, and ending with the final redemption still to come. The noon symbolizes the receiving vessel of the soul of Mashiach and Ne'eman or faithful one. Noon is the 14th letter of the Aleph Bet, which equals David. As the letter Dalit is four, Vav is six, and Dalit is four. Noon, last but not least, stands for Neshama, the third of the five levels of the soul. This level of soul directly perceives the Shekinah. So I kind of want to throw in there that the fact that uh, there's also the double noon. Um, you can call it Yeah, you can call it 100. Cool. Get you some. Um, but I'm trying to remember what portion that's in. What do you mean, double noon? The double noon that uh, the inverted noons. Oh, that's the that's the Vahib uh, Ben Soa Bami Bar. It's coming up in next week's Torah portion or Beha uh, Aloteka. Okay, I'm going there right now. Which I think is like really close to uh, the priestly blessing. That's it. That's in this restore portion is the priestly blessing. Okay, well then that's the inverted noon section. Uh, Were the priestly ble blessings uh, blessing of It's not in now, so I think it, yeah, it's probably Parsha Beha Oloteca because that's where they do all the traveling. Yep, here it is. It's uh, Bami Bar chapter 10, starting in verse 35. I can. What are you doing, man? It's a uh, um, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty
Wait, 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 wait. You, you said, uh, hold up. I gotta get Mazo. I gotta get Mazo hard out. Okay, so you're in Beha Aloteca? Yeah. And which chapter? Which chapter? Which chapter? Which chapter? Really? To search out a resting place for them. And as soon as the ark traveled, the noon was traveling above it. That is Malkut. Since the Shekinah was residing on the ark. Come and behold the love of the Holy One. Blessed be he for Israel. Even though they diverged from the straight path, the Holy One, blessed be he, did not wish to forsake them. He always turns his face back to them. For had it not been so, they would never be able to survive in the world. What chapter did you just read? Hello, can you hear me? David? Yeah. What chapter was it? Oh, um, it's the Helotka, chapter 22, number 128, I think. Or I guess it's the Helotka entry, uh, 128. 128. Oh, here we go. I just saw it. Oh, well, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, he's in the Zohar right now. So he says, the noon that faces backwards in two places. He says, he says, the ark traveled. When the ark traveled, the Shekinah traveled along and did not leave Yisrael. And just as she kept her face turned back, to the children of Israel, the noon that traveled with them turned back to them. After the ark came to rest and the people complained, they caused Malkut to turn her back on them. So she was facing them, and because they complained, she turned her face away, which she talked about that. And just as she kept her face turned back to the children of Israel, the noon that child with them turned back to them. Rabbi Shimon says that after the ark came to rest and the people complained, they caused Malkut to turn her back on them. The noon, indicating the Shekinah, traveled alongside and did not leave it. Due to their love for Israel, he turned his face back to Israel and she turned herself around from the ark, similar to a young deer that keeps turning her face back to the place she left when she goes forward. Therefore, when like the, the ark... Like the goes back to... Uh, the dog goes back to his father? Um, in a negative way or a positive way? Well, let's see. Therefore, therefore, when the ark set forth, the noon turned its face back towards Israel and the shoulders of its body towards the ark. 
Mm. So it's relating the noon to one body, but the body is faced this way and, and it's looking back. Yeah. So it doesn't want to turn away from the ark, but it also doesn't want to turn away from Israel. Mm. Wow. So it says, therefore, when the ark traveled, Moshe says, rise up Adonai, meaning do not forsake us, but turn your face towards us. Then the noon turned its front backwards to us like this, like one who turns his face to someone whom he loves. So it's a love. It's not a return. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. That. And then yeah. it says, when the ark began to rest, yeah, so it turned back its right, face right, from this right, right, and turned its face toward the ark. I was saying last year, but the ark straight doesn't have a noon in it. That's correct. And he had some commentary about how it had fallen. And it was upside down, right? And then wow. that it has to be redeemed so it can be turned back right uh, right side up and then put back in the ashtray. I just found apparently there's a story of Lila. And this angel is in charge of conception. So the Lemina Halila, stay with me tonight for conception. So it says Rabbi Hanina writes in the Babylonian Talmud Nida 16 about the angel in charge of conception. Lila, one of the only female angels serves the sacred task of bringing seeds and the soul together and then plants it in the womb. She is the soul's midwife. It is she who illuminates the womb so that the infant can see from one end of time, space, and creation to the other. And it is she who teaches unborn Jewish children the entire Torah and history of our souls. When it is our time to be born, Lila cuts the illumination and brings us forth into the world. The instant we emerge, she lightly presses her index finger to our upper lips, saying, shh, and... This makes us forget everything we learned in utero, so we make our first cry. Notice that the knowledge is still present, just forgotten. Like the Jungian idea of collective unconscious. This is our explanation for our filtrum, the vertical indentation between our nose and lips. So the enlarged noon, it seems to me, from what we just read, is about her being set up to conceive the second Adam. Because this infant would see beyond time and space and creation. And know the history of our souls and that whole midrash about Adam being shown 
all of his descendants and what they would do. That's crazy. Oh, come on, man. It says, okay, so Sinyum is a word here. It says the enlarged noon is the Neshama, the soul of Mashiach, patiently waiting to be conceived by the couple destined to bring it into the world. The soul of Adam Kadmon, the primordial Adam, which will animate Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson David and will transmigrate to our future Mashiach. Both and Ruaz, or both Boaz and Ruth, <laughs> wow, <laughs> have opened their hearts to each other through the chesed they paid one another through through uh, to another throughout the narrative, and as they turn their destinies to enter the divine flow, the one hundred blessings, as Hadar brought down. Which is the will of Hashem. And it is written that the will of Hashem for us is to be thankful in Mashiach. And then it says they are inviting the angel Lila to guide the soul of Mashiach present with them on that threshing floor down through their union. Okay, that's a get you some drop right there. That's why it has to be a netzer and not a sonic. That's right. That's right. Oh, wow. Even though one refers to the other, but it's okay. What's worse than that? No, this is somebody's blog, and they're dropping these different oh. clippings. So he was saying the word siyum. So I need to look that up and see where that came from. Sheet two four two. Can I get some English though? Four. 
Oh man, come on now. It's interesting that Inaso, Porsche Inaso, he actually mentions, he talks about the 100. Being what? Well, he says the numerical value of, of the phrase Lek Leka is 100. Therefore, it's extremely significant. Whoa, whoa. Lek Leka? Yeah. To go. Or to go to yourself. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, I don't know if y'all just heard that, but Lek Leka equals 100. Which is yeah. which is the word lemina? And, and if I remember correctly, there was commentary saying lech lecha. Uh, that was that was a reference to to the promise of, of Yitzhak, like Hashem was telling him when he left his 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 father's uh, city that in a hundred years he would have Yitzhak. Oh, interesting! Prophetically, hundred years. Yeah, he was telling, he was telling Lech Lecha, he was telling him leave, but he was also telling him, like, when you turn 100, then you'll have your child, you know? Well, it's almost like he's saying it twice, um, or Lech Lecha, you know what I'm saying, that, that kind of plan. Which, which also, because I was kind of, I've been learning, I was learning about the Lamed, uh, was it on Wednesday, it was saying that when you tell somebody, when you tell somebody like you shouldn't like how we say lechaim or uh, like you shouldn't tell somebody lecha be shalom, but you should say lecha le shalom, which which implies like going towards something, not a coming, uh, going not going into or something. I can't remember exactly. Or going with like don't go with shalom, but go towards shalom. You know, oh. you should always pursue pursue shalom. And before you, yeah. Yeah, this was this is from uh, Orchard of Delights in the Parsha Naso. He was saying that the numerical value of the phrase Lekla is 100. Therefore, it is extremely significant that Abraham gave birth to Isaac, the child who would carry on his life, life work at that age. Alright, seizing, I guess we got a lot of, little bit of Josh, Josh in here. Yeah, in the Orch Orchard of Delights, seizing the moment, um, says, let's read here, Naso is often read on the Shabbat following 
following Shavuot, the festival celebrating God giving the Torah to the Jewish people. The Torah states that that at this that at this never to be repeated moment, God descended and revealed Himself upon Mount Sinai. God descended and revealed Himself upon Mount Sinai. Exodus or Shemot 19:20. Never before had God revealed Himself and His will to this extent in the world before. The Midrash states that until that time, higher and lower reality had been separated in such a manner that prevented divine revelation from descending and lower reality from ascending beyond certain points. On that unique day, this decree was annulled. Wow. Higher reality descended as God revealed himself upon Mount Sinai, and lower reality ascended as Moshe, acting as humanity's representative, climbed up the mountain. Even with the annulment of this decree, one further step needed to be undertaken to complete God's descent into this world. This final step is represented by the building of the tabernacle on God's command. They will make me for for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in their midst. Mm. In this final stage, God, as it were, leaves the heavens and Ooh. actually dwells in their midst, not just in the midst of the tabernacle, but in the midst of the heart of each and every Jew. Man. I mean, talking about... Wait, you just called our heart a tabernacle? A heart, yeah. To our get heart, the higher reality to, to the come down reality and of, the lower reality? Of the Shem. I mean, it was his Torah, but it was the Shem himself, which is the living Torah. And Yeshua, the fact that you know he came from the heights of where he was sitting, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, coming down upon the earth and dwelling with us. This is beautiful. Wow. I'll drink to that. So that's a whole new meaning of have Hashem in your heart. It means to be elevated into a higher reality. And, and to allow, to do what you can to be a vessel so that Hashem can descend as well. Down in lower reality. Heavens on you would be a chad. In, wow. Wow, that's good. Man. Side note, apparently um, drinking water helps you stay awake. What? Did you grab that off my shelf? No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Did you grab that? Wait, 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 say it again. I want to get a drink of water. That's kind of funny. I just was like, man, that's crazy because that's totally what I have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, repeat, David, repeat. Obligation. Oh. To carry the work on the shoulders. Man, Mitzvah 379. 
Wow. Carry the ark on the shoulders. Okay, can you read it slowly? Okay, so the Levites are supposed to carry the ark. Furthering my reading here with the seizing of the moment with uh, Rabbi um, Targum, he says, well, when we do, okay, see here, uh, where should I start here? Perhaps this portion was meant to be read on Shabbat following the festival of Shavuot, for the central message stresses that God's descent and revelation will be only complete when we establish a dwelling place for him within our midst inside our very selves. When we do, we will have fulfilled the very purpose of creation. As the Midrash explains, God is, has a passion to have a dwelling place in for himself in the lower worlds. Ooh. And we know that the very, purpose of crea- uh, the very purpose of creation was the Torah, the giving of the Torah. Yeah. That's right, so him establishing that, right? I'm establishing the dwelling place for Shem heart. in the lower world, being Torah, in the Mishkan. Amen. And the Torah within our, within our own hearts. Because ultimately, Shavuot's more than receiving just the Torah. We're receiving Hashem's will, a divine, uh, divine guide for our life. 
Oh, man. We're, we're, we're saving him. Yeah, exactly. And we're making, and if we, if we soak up, you know, that, like a sponge, you know, we soak up the word, we hear, heed it, and obey it, and do it, and teach it, we're bringing Hashem into the world. Oh. We're opening, or like inviting the um, Kabbalah HaShvat into our home, and therefore into the world, and um, yeah, definitely bringing more light. And expanding the kingdom, per se, or shining the, the king's light. Okay, you want to pick back up with your arc on the shoulders? Pun intended. Because God helped the Levim who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of Hashem, they offered sacrifices seven bulls and seven rams. And it's kind of just, so this entire thing, um, Rambam with an N, is like vehemently, vehemently disagreeing with Rambam with an N. Um, so Hinuch is kind of pl playing out this uh, debate between uh, Rambam's point of view and Rambam's point of view. Yeah. people to carry their stuff got the wagons and stuff yeah but um it's i, I mean i as we understand it uh it's almost like the the, the sons of kohath the wagon they were given was the ark and the ox that they were given was Shua. was who so the two other tribes was the gershonites and the mayorites had the, they were given the uh, one of them was given uh, two wagons and four oxen. The other one was given four wagons and eight oxen. But the the Kohathites weren't given any wagons because the the obligation to carry the ark on the shoulders. Right. Which is almost like they got Hashem's wagon and the ox pulling it was Yeshua. Oh. Because the ark was carried. And it carried yeah. those who carried it. Exactly. That's what, yeah. So it wasn't really the fact that the Levites were carrying the ark. No. It was the fact that wow. they didn't have any... The, the arguably heaviest load was demanded to be carried by man instead of beast. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of just... It doesn't really seem fair that Hashem would do that. But it is fair because he carried them mm. as if, yeah. So it's no, that's great. And, and Keep the going. The insights from last week kind of went in a little bit about the, uh, how, uh, you know, why would Hashem allow people to die when looking at the uh, unshorn uh, items of the Mishkan? Ooh. And it brought down that 
uh, among other things that uh, we all have our service to Hashem, and uh, the the I guess preface it with it was talking about how I think I read it in the youth group today. The um, how we we can all ascend to the level of a Leviim. Um, if we yes. simply devote our lives to the service of Hashem. Yes. But, and then I guess it kind of juxtaposes that to the fact that um, while certain things would kill a non Leviim, doesn't preclude us from the service of Hashem and how everyone has their own role in the service of Hashem. So it's kind of, we, we're ultimately all obligated as fathers of Mashiach to carry the ark. Uh, even if, even if, even if, the metaphorical ark, kind of. Well, what is the ark? The ark is the covenant. Yeah. So, yeah, we're all commanded under, um, you know, really as Jews, but even more so as, um, what's it say, priests and kings. Uh, mm, man. Oh, actually, to that note, it says, hold on, right here, let's see. Uh, there's this one really cool, hold on, let's see. Right, to so the whole point of the, the Priest of Kings. Oh, here we go. Ve'kol halevi'im hanasi'im et haron vago. David was clothed in a linen robe as were the, all the Leviim who carried the Ark. So, the linen robe, the robe of David, um, was the same one that the Kohathites who carried the Ark were wearing. Right. And does it also mention in Ruth, uh, the, it, is it, it's Boaz that's wearing the robe, right? Yes, Boaz is wearing the robe. Spread your robe over me. Okay, yeah, it's just like, so King David, I, I mean, you could almost posit that it's the same robe King David was wearing. And the Levim who carried the ark. Well, there's an easy way to fix that. Let's look at the Hebrew. So, um, where's the Hebrew? Okay, so. That David was clothed in a linen robe was a parenthetical statement by Hinuch, I think, or maybe Rambam. So actually, I don't have the Hebrew in front of me, but I, I guess we could look it up. Yeah, you find the David, and I'm uh, going to do Ruth. I guess you interrupt, but not really. I mean, kind of a support tag. Uh, David, I was, rem I was reminded of what you had said about carrying the Ark, and then also... Um, when it comes to individually, like, we each have a tikkun alam we have to do ourselves personally, but then, like, a more corporate reality, um, and just the ark itself in a more spiritual sense. I was reminded, uh, Shaul says in, in Galatians, he says 6, um, let's see here, 6 2, it says, bear one of his burdens. Oh. So, like, that is to help each other out oh, in, yeah. in Torah obedience, oh. in toiling. Kind of in, like at Pesach, how we need to serve each other. Ooh. Exactly, like kings and priests. Like kings and priests, yes, exactly. Oh. Yeah, we need to carry each other's arcs. Wow, wow, man, that's that's right on. That's exactly what I'm thinking. But then right after that, he goes on and he says it in six five. So, so two verses later, he says, "For each one shall bear his own burden, though." 
And so, like, it's a, you know, dual reality. You're you're helping other people, but you can't be, like, um, so only consumed by your brethren and therefore neglect your own walk because then, you know, eventually yeah. that will fall um, and deflate, you know. So you have to obviously take care of yourself, focus on your, your race and well, um, your observance. Uh, who was the rabbi? In Perkei vote. I think it was Halal that said, you know, if I'm not for me, who will be for me? Oh, that's... But if I am for myself, then who am I? Or something along those lines. Good something that yes. Yeah. You just pulled up here. Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> so, wait. So you have to carry your own burden as other people help you carry your own burden. Yeah. And vice versa. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 <laughs> the, the yeah. musical song all, all of us together. Uh, really? <laughs> as, well, as, you know what applies? As a shameless king. Uh, yes. <laughs> Don't really uh, want to admit that, but okay. <laughs> did I miss something? He just talked talk about a high school musical illusion that says uh, we're all in this together. They made a song about it in that little uh, thing. Well, what I was going to... Go ahead, Hadar. I saw you. Do it. You tagging? No. No. Oh. Okay. So, what I was going to say is Rabbi Ridiculous, a.k.a. Rabbi Raskin, the mnemonic for Behukotai, in that video, he's talking about how the Ark was carried and he says that it was carried shoulder to shoulder and face to face hmm. and so if the you Levite, the Levine carrying it? The carried it were face to face shoulder to shoulder face to face well I'm saying the, the sleek the ark was on their shoulders but they carried it okay. face to face so sometimes you'd be walking backwards but sometimes you'd be walking forwards Sometimes you'd be walking sideways, right? Like the, like the two noons, the one of them that was turned backwards. Yup. Um, oh, oh. Yeah. Um, it, it, it talks about the, how the it's like a deer or back. a fawn that looks back to where it was There's before it was forward. So yep. That's kind of a message for when the ark would go out in front of them, the way it would come back. Right. And then go up three days ahead and then come back. Right. Which is the like the Shabbos days walk the two hundred, you know, used to walk the two thousand years. Two thousand years later, he would come back or essentially catch up with them. Ooh. It was the same way the same way that he walked in the in Bihar in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have First Chronicles fifteen twenty seven. Uh, Vedavi. Uh, Mekrobel, Bemiel, Bemiel, yeah, yeah, Bemiel, and and David was clothed with a robe of fine. That's all it says is fine. What's that word for robe? Uh, Bemiel is that the same one as Mila? Uh, how do you spell it? Um, it's Mem Ayin Yod Bamin. Ma'al, the one from Ma'al. Mem, I mean... Maybe it is. 
No, Mila is spelled with a hey. Well, the root word of it is ma'al, which means committed. Ooh. So look up the interlinear and get that one. And Yeshua did say he would leave on a journey and go to a far distant place and then come back. And he says, you know the way. And he, say, yeah, he says, you know the way. And, he's, and he left He left his home and he's, and then he, you know, on a journey, it's a journey, and then like a journey, a Sabbath day's journey, and then he comes back home after, afterward. That's pretty neat. There's this word boots, which means fine. Okay, there, okay, it's, so it doesn't actually come out and say linen, but it says boots, which means fine, um, fine, which is, it's kind of elusive fine linen. Yeah, he's talking about the description. But the ma the mail, it says is the cloak. Yeah. Okay. So in Ruth it uses Kenafeka, your kanaf. Um is that the corn? No, what's that mean? Yeah, it means wing. Wing or corner. So, did, I think I remember mentioned that it was talking about his talit or something along those lines. Yes. So, this one is a talit. Hmm. Remember, remember Shaul's grocery list? Get my, get, get my talit. Yeah, get my, my talit and my, 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 my books. Yeah. My parchments. So, it says that according to... The dictionary here, Ruth, where is Ruth mentioned? Protector of his people. Because I'm in Ruth. What's the significance of when the V is spelled with the Vav versus when it's not spelled with the Vav? The Vav is Mashiach. Well, I'm saying the, the once... The one spelled with Vav is the greater David, which is Mashiach. So this, hmm. Is it almost like a foretelling of... Oh no, sorry, it's spelled with a Yod. The, it's normally yeah. the V is spelled Dalit Vav Dalit, but it's one spelled Dalit Vav Yod. So yes. this is almost like it's talking about the... the, the, the Mash that will be? Mashiach, yes. The greater David. Yeah, the Yod means what's coming, right? Like it, it's a future tense. It's Yod is is the uh, is what the world to come is made with. So yes. So when it says to be with the Yod, it's talking about the Mashiach. Essentially, the Messiah instead. Of right, it's talking about Mashiach. You want me to pull out the uh, what the rabbis know about Messiah? Drop on that. An aphod of linen. A breastplate of linen, I guess. Let's see. Uh, I got a tag. I'm totally swerving somewhere else. Don't swerve. You're never swerving. I'm, I'm swerving. I'm going to swerve y'all all real quick. No, we're going to connect it back. Watch this. Okay, because the, I think it's really, really, really interesting. Because we just got done doing Shabbat, counting the Yomer, saying Psalm 67. We're not done yet. All throughout the Yomer. 
which leads us to Nasos to Helene, which is Psalm 68. Right. It says, Get the green lantern out. Yep. It says 68.10 says, You poured generous rain, oh God. In the big green book, it says, Let the dew pour. After every commandment God uttered at Sinai, the souls of the people expired due to the intensity of the revelation. God revived them by bringing down the dew that is set aside for the resurrection of the dead in the future. As our verse states, you poured generous, generous rain when your heritage was weary. When our souls were weary and departed, you resurrected us with generous rain. Shabbat 88b. The above teaching is puzzling. If God revived us with dew, why does the verse mention generous rain? Divine emanation is initiated in one of two ways. The first occurs as a response to our efforts. Our devotion invokes a revelation of godliness commensurate with our, our service. This is when we pick up the ark. This is when David saying this is when we pick up the ark. Yep. The second occurs as an unwarranted gift, a revelation of God is granted to us. This is when Yeshua picks us up and carries us on the wings of eagles, is what David is saying. Is granted to us unsolicited and beyond what our achievements merit. So this is not anything that is in our merit. Rain and dew are metaphors for the two systems of revelation. Rain is created from bodies of water that evaporate and rise up and then condense and fall as rain. This resembles the efforts of humankind which rise up toward God and generate a response from him. Dew, however, does not descend from above. It is made of vapor that condenses and materializes near the earth. It lacks the accent descent dynamic and is therefore a metaphor for an endowment from God that is bestowed to us regardless of our efforts. These two dimensions can be found in Torah study as well. The laws and teachings of the revealed Torah, which we can grasp through our efforts, is the reign of Torah. The dew of Torah is the elusive hidden Torah. This study concerns lofty, godly concepts that our minds are not equipped to fathom and is therefore bestowed upon us as a gift. Since the dew of the future, this bestowal of dew of Torah is a gradual process. It began at Mount Sinai when the entire Torah was given, including its esoteric component. But unlike the revealed Torah, the hidden Torah was not given. It was was not given in a way that we could f truly absorb. This will occur during the future redemption, the time when a new Torah will emanate from me, Isaiah fifty one four. This is why historically, study of the hidden Torah was restricted to a, to a few elite. See Hagiga two two. But as we draw nearer to the future redemption, we are encouraged to study the hidden Torah and share it with a wider audience as a taste of the future. Our intellect can begin to absorb the transcendent concepts of the dew of Torah oh through God. our own efforts. This is why you gotta stop, man. This is just so intense. <laughs> with you're, you're the phrase generous rain 
to emphasize that oh ultimately we will going. be able to absorb the dew of Torah just as we receive its rain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you stop? That was one of the biggest, that, that was one of the main complaints of the Mishnahim about the Hasidim. Okay. I well, go ahead. Well, I don't know. Are you gonna tag up? I was I'm gonna, gonna tag up. I was gonna tie it back, but you can. Oh, okay. Let me support tag. Well, I was, yeah, I do a support tag. I just love how what you're saying, Shlomo, and I, it reminded me of just the fact that you know, with when I mean, we know that Yeshua, you know, he is and he has the the hidden teachings of the Torah. Obviously, he mm. is the hidden teachings of the Torah, and it's not through our merit that he has come and revealed himself and called himself called us to him. You know, and that like it's like like an unto do something that we, it's not our own effort. It's not because of our obeying of the mitzvahs that we received such a gift as him, um, you know, manifesting himself and coming, and and how like you said, like when your Mashiach returns, that he will teach teach us Torah and teach us the hidden, um, even you know, white fire and beyond. Uh, of what that will look like, you know what that is, um, and we'll share it obviously with all the the entire world. Um, so it'll be you know the waters, the knowledge of Hashem will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, um, which is beautiful. Okay, so my support or my tie tag is that we were talking about the garment, the robe. Then we switched to rain and dew. And now we're talking about the secrets and the hidden Torah. That's Are you going to tell us how it's all the same thing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because get this. In Ruth 2.9, when she says, spread your robe over me. Right? Or, sleek eye, three. Yes, Ruth three nine. So it says, "Spread your robe over your handmaid, for you are a redeemer." Okay, so she initializes the action, right? So then, when she does that, this is called a kanaf. This is called a wing. So she would do this to cause divine benevolence to be poured out upon her. And we already see that the enlarged noon is brought up here. But the other thing is the commentary on this verse says a close relative you are obligated to redeem. So Boaz has to redeem her. So in other words, she has to 
like whatever she initiated, even if she doesn't initiate it, it has to be initiated from the other side. So in other words, you pick up the arc, but the arc is going to carry you e either way. Okay, but hold on. Boaz was the second redeemer. He wasn't the first one. The right. first one was the first brother of Elimelech. Right. Boaz was the second redeemer. Yeah. So it's like the, first, the first redeemer had to go through the chutzah or whatever it's called, right? The, the shoe ceremony. Right. In order for the second the and one... Mashiach, the, the redeemer, right? The Gael. Uh, right. Whatever father of um, Mashiach. Or D David, right? So it, a bit, it was, it's, it's kind of interesting that Boaz was kind of like a Mashiach. Would it be like Mashiach? Ben Ab. David. Yeah, Mashiach Ab David. Like, that's kind of interesting. If yeah. the first Mashiach had to deal with the reproach and the shame of the of the spitting and the right. Well, think about what they think about what they did to Yeshua. I mean, exactly. They, just, they effectively disowned him. Right. Most certainly. This is the same way that this the, this first Mashiach had to get disowned by uh, by everybody, so that the second Mashiach could come and truly redeem us. That's right. So wow. then it says that this wing connotes flying. So she's going to get underneath his wing so that he can carry her. And then it says that. Which chords with, sorry, Shemot. Well, Shemot, I mean, Exodus. Yeah, the clouds. The wings and eagles. The wings of eagles, yes. So she wants to be covered by those. And then it says that otherwise, Naomi would have to be forced to sell the land. To sell the uh, the husband's inheritance, and she it says in buys it, right? And then yeah, she considers the field and buys it, right? So that's another thing. So you got this Eshet Chayil action of considering a field and buying it, but the way she buys it is through being redeemed. So she's initiating the rain to fall down by being covered by the talit. But then it says you have to look at Vayikra 25.5, which says if your brother becomes impoverished and sells part of his ancestral heritage, his redeemer who is closest to him shall come and redeem his brother's sale. If a man will have no redeemer, but his means suffice and he acquires enough for its redemption, then he shall reckon the years of his sale and return the remainder to whom he has sold it, and he shall return to his ancestral heritage. So what we're doing is we're we're preserving, just like the lives of the people who departed from their bodies. We're preserving life. So when Hashem would input the spirit back into the body through that resurrection dew, that's preserving them. So then the commentary on this verse says, if they become impoverished, one should not sell his ancestral plot unless he becomes impoverished. And even then, he should try not to sell all of it. And that's the beauty of Mashiach being poor, but also being our redeemer. He takes that upon himself to be the impoverished one, but to redeem us all at the same time. 
which would be him covering us in the kanaf, in his garment. But we have to come to him as he came to us. Well, we have to be like the woman with the issue of blood that reached out and grabbed his, the, the corners of him, right? His, his tzitzit. The kanaf. Yeah. And then... It's also interesting talking about the dew, right? The birka uh, hashanim, the year, the blessing of the years. Bless on our behalf, Lord and Aaron, God, this year and all its kinds of accomplishments the best and give, but the parenthetical dew and rain for a blessing on the face of the earth. What it's did you say? It says, in the following blessing, give a blessing is recited from the beginning of Pesach through Minka of December 4th. Give dew and rain for a blessing is recited from Ma'ariv of December 4th until Pesach. I'm going to go read the laws for this uh, doesn't want to move back, right? Yeah, laws in the back. Yeah. 79. Ooh. See, so from, from the end of Sukkot until Pesach. Until Pesach. No, it's, it's to, December 4th. Which is the end of Sukkot. Basically, the end of Sukkot, can it? No. It's no, like, it's a yeah. couple months after. Okay, a month after? It's interesting that, it, well, I kind of want to see the Hebrew date, because I don't know why it's a Gregorian date. Yeah, this is not in... Yeah, it's basically, you're going to skip the whole month of uh, Cheshvan, which is when the flood started. Huh. So you're going to have... From Tishrei, you're going to go through Cheshvan, and at some point in Kislev, the prayer for rain and dew. Begin. Yeah. Until Nisan. So, yeah, about the dew. So, it's not till Pesach that we start praying for dew and rain again. No, that's when we stop. That's when we stop saying it. Okay, that's even, even better then. Human hands, there it is when we start. The final do uh, that you we don't pray for the Well, he's talking about the year of prosperity. So you got. Yeah, not. You got the who makes the rain fall. The first blessing over here. So it says, who makes the wind blow and makes the rain to descend. So we got the rain starting from Shemini Adzeret. Yeah, and then in Kislev, we add in the dew. May you give dew and rain. This is the prayer for the dead, right? Right. So we're talking about rain during the dead part. And then we're talking about... We're talking, interesting enough, it's also talking about the wind, right? The Ruach. Is right. Is that the word it uses? Yes. Mashiv yeah. HaRuach yeah. Umarid HaGeshem. Which is, which is Torah. Right. The Ruach mm. is Torah. The breath of Hashem, the voice of Hashem. Right. The power of Hashem. But then, later on in the Amidah, starting in Kislev, we say, Vetein Tal Umatar. So, tal umatar, dew and rain. Yeah. Okay. 
I see an uh, Umatir, Asareen, what's that mean? Supports, um, does that support the Fallen? Umatir. Which is the same word as, or it's a different word, but it's the same letters as the one you mentioned, right? This is in the, um, supports the fall. No. Umatir. Umatir That's heals the sick. Who heals the sick? But what was the was the word you used? It was like Umasir or something like that. Oh, uh, tall Umat Umatar. Umatar. Okay, it's spelled the same way. Maybe we're maybe less a yod. No, it's a tet tet tav. So we'd have to do the interchange. So he supports supports the fallen, heals the sick, maintains his faithfulness to those asleep in the dust. Supports the fallen. Where is that at? And makes salvation sprout. Heals the sick. Oh, it's releasing the confined. Umatir Asurim. He released. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the commentary that Rabbi brought down about the two names was that they were uh, cast down from the from the ashray. I think I think what what he was saying was that that, that the moon is not present in the ashray because uh, of the just 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 the, just the whole out. connotation that the moon carries with it. Yeah. That they're fallen. So the moon was. was not put in there because the Shem doesn't look at look at the, like the fallen aspect of, of like how we all fall short of the glory of Hashem. Amen. It's kind of so. Um, I think it meant when you're talking about how Hashem, um, the reason that he it wasn't completely obvious which day, whether it was the ninth of all or the tenth of all, that the that Yerushalayim fell was because he didn't want to. To be clear, uh, he didn't want to make the shortcomings of the Jews clear, but in the wow. he would go to bless them. He would bless it. He would tell every uh, every like every person on earth that the Jews were blessed. Yes. In like excruciating detail. Wow. Kind of, I feel it's kind of like that. That's beautiful. We don't, mm. you know, he 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 hides the noon's nakedness, mm. right? Like we were talking about how the you know Noah. When yep. he was naked and drunk, that the one wanted to go do terrible things to him, but the other two very carefully covered his nakedness. Right. They walked mm. backwards. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like the backwards noons, right? Yep. And it was two of them. And they covered him. Yeah. Right. The grace of the grace of Noah. Noah noon ha. Or noon, chet, chet, noon. The two noons. Yeah. The two inverted noons, because right there, you know, they're walking backwards. And then Noah himself being a noon. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, so the whole thing that I'm getting about noon is chesed. Like this yep. whole thing about the acts of kindness with grace. 
because yeah, ultimately they fell. But it's, what's Hashem doing? He didn't just forsake them. He's you know it's the loving kindness that he's extending to the noons because one day they'll rise. That's right. So with Noah, Yafet, and uh, Shem said, you know, even though our father basically repeated the the sin in the garden he still deserves to be covered up and, and shown dignity and respect yeah and what ended up happening from that point on shem and noach and ever taught torah to many namely abraham so even though he was in that fallen state which is a noon because of the reverse noon, picking him up, covering him up, he was able to rise and bring Torah down into the world. Um, the word Netzach, that means stand, right? Netzach means guard. Or Notzer, Notzer means guard. What's the word for stand? It's Nitzavim. Netzavim, yeah, that's it. Oh, which would be Nitzav. I see what you did there. Yeah. Wait, is that the same word as Nitzavit? I think it might be. I need to know how to spell Nitzavit. was the fall, the fallen noon, the bent over Zadik and the Zadi, and the bait, and then the bait, the bait Tav, right? There is it. How does how's the end of Nitzavit spelled? Is it a bait Tav? We're not sure. He's looking up the spelling right now. I'm, I'm looking at something else, but I'm trying to try to tie it all into what we're talking about. There's a whole article about her on Chabad. I'm sure there is. And get this, they tie her to Tehillim 69. Oh, snap. Say what? So now we're going 67, 68, 69? Yep. What? Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, 69. Man, I'm just looking for the spelling. So 
Give me some Hebrew. Nobody's spelling it in Hebrew. You know who, who would be great for this? It's Hasis because he has that whole book of names. Oh my goodness, yes. Somebody, somebody go get in their car, go pull up on a Hasis' doorstep. Break the door down. Who's that? Who's Natan. Oh. The Masons. It says, so the verbal root is... Nitzav, Noon, Sadi, Bet. And it's a Tav? Sadi. Yeah, it would. So hers would be. The Tav and the Ted are interchangeable, so it's either one of those. Well, there's so, like, right, the kind of the picture of her name is the Noon, the Fallen One. The Zadi, the Bet Zadich, and then either Bot or Bait, the house. Yeah. Or the daughter. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the house, kind of connecting the house of the fallen one with the house of um, the, the, the Zadik, right? That's it. The verb Nadzav. Means to stand or take a stand. And it also can mean sound and healthy. In good standing. The participle found here is nitzava. But Nizevit would be an alternative form of this. Come on, man. Give me some more stuff. Um, can we look into how it uses the word threshing floor? Because remember, Menashe brought up that this is the only way it's been used in the entire Tanakh. Yeah, go for it. So what, it's Shalim, uh, the Shalim of the Techa or whatever? Shim Lo Techa? Shim Lo Techa. That's for threshing floor? Was that for? Yeah. You know, Mashiach talks about threshing floor. Really? Oh, yeah. Would you mind referencing that for me? Me? Just kind of pick. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Gonna, like, look up the um the one in the Tanakh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Going for that, I'm gonna find your source. What was that? My phone booting up. Oh. Huh. It took a little snap, but it's back for Shavuot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. That's your force. Let me go, Techa. 
How do you not uh, have anything for Nidzevit on the Hebrew? Okay, well, I know, like, in, in Luke 3, Luke 3, I'll give it context here, um, Luke 3.15, but as the people were in expectation, as the Jews, and all were reasoning in their hearts about Yochanan, whether he was the Mashiach or not, Yochanan answered, saying to them all, I indeed immerse you, or make for you in water, one mightier than I is coming, whose sandals straps I'm not worthy to loosen. He shall make for you in, in the Ruach HaKodesh and fire. His wounding fork is in his hand, and he shall thoroughly cleanse his Whoa. threshing floor. Whoa. And gather the wheat into his storehouse, but the chaff he shall burn with unquenchable fire. And Say with, that again? He's his winnowing fork? His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he shall thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor, and gather the wheat into his storehouse, but the chaff he shall burn with unquenchable fire. And urging with many other words, he brought the good news to the Jewish, to the, to the people. Is this like when he drove all the people out of the temple, clearing the threshing floor of all the... the Cleansing chaff? it. Because the temple's built on the threshing floor. Well, yeah. there, there is similarities, but yeah, this, this, one, this incident here is uh, early on, you know, when, you, when Yochanan, the mikvah, was, you know, doing his ministry. Um, when Yeshua was just becoming out of the scenes... And people, a lot of hundreds of you know droves of Jews were coming and and uh, being mikvahed by Yochanan. We want to talk about the fact that of our kindred has the word da'at in it. What? Mi tenu, da'at ayin tav, right? Are you talking about the word for threshing floor? No, our of our kindred. Our kindred. Yeah. Oh, he's probably pulling. Where are you pulling that from? Um, Bo uh, Boaz, no, uh, not, this is in a linear, hold on. What verse? Feata, hello, Boaz, midatenu. Boaz, not, now, whatever, Boaz, our kindred. Verse 2, Ruth 3-2. Okay. So you're saying Datenu is our knowledge, from our knowledge? From our knowledge, yeah. Right. But that is how Dot spelled, right? Dalit Ayn Tav? Yeah, Da'at. Yeah, so yeah, from our Dot, from our knowledge. Y'all and your hummings. Hmm. Okay. 
is narrow tav. But I feel like if you swap the ayin for an olive, it becomes the word for candles, I think. Nair, right? Where? Nair, the nearot. How's nearot spelled? Yeah, but that's narot, like naar, which is memtet. And Yosef. Explain that to me. I haven't heard that one. Naar is referred to. Okay, I'm gonna go back even further. Naar is used of Yitzhak, Yosef, yeah. David, and Moshe and Memtet. Uh, um, what's Naar mean in context? Lad. Oh, so like male names. Right here, it's, fem- it's feminine, but okay, you're talking about Na'ar, the male, essentially a bachelor, or lad, as it's put. Lad. Okay. Yeah. And Na'ar is used in Bereshit 22 for the Akida. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, me and the lad will go forth, yeah. Yeah. But to your original question, it's uh, Nerot would be Nun Resh Vav Tav. What was that last letter? Tav. Tav. So you're saying it's Nun Resh Vav Tav? There's some crazy echo. Yeah, well, I don't know what's up with that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So, if you do that, you're leaving the ayin. Off of there. And... Yeah, I don't know what that one. Never wrote. Saying Ed Goren is a question for the Goren. The Aleph of Goren. Man, this is killing me. Not knowing how to spell exhibit. Oh, three. What's the word for threshing floor? I'm getting hagaret or garet. Yeah, it's it's uh, Tadar. Okay. Okay. 
Shalomo. How's Juan doing? Is he holding up? He's back. Yeah, he's back. 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 He's Oh. oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting the word fourth floor seems to be Garen. Okay. So what's this? So what's this? Uh, Shimoteka. What? Okay. Did you look up the underlining? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at. So what's it say? It just says the touching for you. Okay. Um, let me see if I can find another scripture. Oh, Snap. So, Nedzevit is literally Noon, Sadi, and then the house. Yeah. So, Nets or Nas Bet. The fallen righteous house. The fallen righteous house. Noon, the fallen one. Saudi, the righteous one. Bait, the house. Wow. David's whole intent? David's whole intent. I will raise it up. Happy student exhibit. Can you turn it back again to what was the discussion on that? Can you fix So the discussion on that is talking about Nedzevit and the Notzer and how the Notzer and the Notzer is like to guard and the Zav means to stand. So you got notes there, which is Noon Saudi Raish, and then you got Nazav, Noon Saudi Bet. Oh, wait, hold on. No, no, it's still So we're like going back. From Ruth, from Ruth 3, uh, uh, 1 or 3 2? No, from. What were you pulling from? What was the original? Well, we're talking about the noon standing for Nedzav, which means to take a stand. Oh, okay. From Parsha Nedzavim Devarim. Okay. And then we're talking about how Notzer, which is the which is one of the thirteen attributes of Hashem, that talks about him guarding us in thirty four seventeen of Shemot.
And so there's like this whole thing about guarding. Can you hear us? Technical difficulties. Where's 34? Here we go. So if you look at 3417, large noon. Mm-hmm. I see that. I so it says, Note Zer Chesed. So we're talking about Chesed, we're talking about the noons, mm. and we were talking about Nidzevit. Oh, yeah. okay. What does that mean? Or what song is that? Oh, can you see if there's commentary in here? 3417? Yeah. Of Oh, it says a border town identical with Basa. Identical imposter? Basa. Basa, like. No. Ba. Here. This is what I have for uh, Bizet. Here, I think I know what the problem is. What's that? Um, can you hold it still? I'm trying to let it focus. Can't actually read it. Can you read it to me? I can't. It's too fuzzy. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't... I said it's, uh, Betset is a border town identical with Basa, but I don't know what that source uh -huh. is. Okay. 
the refugee cities? I have no idea. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, I found some. There's yeah. six of them. Get six this. One of the cities of refuge is Shechem. What's, uh, well, what's the word for border city? Uh, it doesn't necessarily say border city. It says... No, sorry, not border city. Refuge city. What are you talking about? The oh, when people when the the when you commit manslaughter and you had a chance to flee to one of the cities. And if you made it to that city, then the the next of kin couldn't try to kill you in extra, uh, as retribution. Are you not using your Bible Hub over there? Um, sort of not. I don't know. Let me see. Um, I'm not sure where to find that, though. I don't remember. You know, in the search around. bar, you could type Cities of Refuge. Oh, well, I missed it. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, here we go. Yeah. Array huh. Hamiklat. Yeah, for refuge. Okay, I gotta get some meat. My stomach is like. What are you trying to find exactly? Uh, I think. Found them, right? David's trying to find. David's looking up something with cities of refuge. There has to be someone always on the walls of Jerusalem while waiting, so. Do what? I said that we're gonna leave, but. Someone in the hair out there. We'll use the restaurant and get a crab from the beach. Sure.
What in the world?
I don't know, I was just kind of speculating. I was gonna wait till I get. Okay, also, Matt. Yo. I wanted to run something by you. So. There's. Um, have you heard of the. Eric on Pink? Yes, a little bit, but I don't know too much about it. Well, it's so it's kind of interesting. It's it said it's one of the um, six divine personas, uh, which is because there's other than a sham, there are six things that existed before creation. Okay. So I'm assuming this was kind of like an aspect of one of them. But the really interesting part. So this is talking about his beard. Yeah. Um, Rabbi Shimon began by saying, Go to the person that extends his hand to the precious supreme beard of the holy old man, who is a Rechon Pinin, who is hidden and concealed from all. And the old, I mean, because right before, uh, You're getting into the, uh, you're getting into the, the, the Keter, which is also too. The, yeah. The Keter, the crown, right? The Keter, you know how you get, you got the ten emanations of, of, of the stuff you wrote, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so some include the catcher, some don't. Depending on which you look at, uh, the catcher, the catcher's the top. Right. The catcher, according to Kabbalah, is another two levels. Like there is the lower level. Oh, Ketter, like the so there's level. seven clouds around it. Now I don't know if that's what that's talking about, but that's what it sounds like. Uh, who knows? It was six clouds camped around the people. So then the seventh cloud, which was actually two Extends his hand to the precious supreme beard 
of the Holy Old Man. Um, uh, especially the who is hidden and concealed from all. Right. Which I don't know, I'm just kind of trying to figure out what this thing was. Not this thing per se, but what is the Arich on Peen? Because right, and Peen comes from the word Pene, right? But like the one of the uh, especially fa- faces of God or like presences right. of God. Right. I mean, it's kind of interesting. It does talk about essentially the ideal beard. <laughs> Talks about the fifth correction underneath the mouth. So this, like, so I mean, you can go through like talks about the goatee, the little part um, above your uh, on your lip that divides the mustache, the neck, the beard of the neck, um, the chaos. So, with the clouds, the clouds and clouds of glory, mm-hmm. in the wilderness. So, if they're surrounded by clouds, there's a cloud in front, and it says, "This is uh, Shemot thirteen twenty-one." And it's talking about Hashem being before them. And it says that this cloud performed two tasks. That it straightened the uneven places and it showed them the way that they were to travel. But then it says, and by night with a pillar of fire later on. So it says that this is difficult to understand. Throughout the 40 years the people were in the wilderness, they traveled only by the light of Hashem which is supernatural, which allowed them to see what was inside a sealed jug. But then it says, when they said the Jewish people travel only using the light, what does this only exclude if the light of the sun by day was replaced by supernatural light? The Shekinah functioned in the daytime, which means it did not derive from the pillar of fire Then it says, they did not need the sun for the day. We must wonder why they would need the pillar of fire to give them light at night. So the final statement, it says, that uh, the light of Hashem never left the Israelite camp for a moment, neither by day or by night. Basically in here, at some point it goes in and saying that there's another cloud that helps and assists. The, 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 what, can you repeat that? 
Basically, it's saying there's there's another cloud. At some point, it says there's two clouds. Okay, yeah. One to lead the way, and the other to shield them from the sun. And there's two forms of light: one of fire and one of the Shekinah. Yeah. It's greater than just like it will be in Yerushalayim in the future. Mm-hmm. The sun will be a bad. So you can almost say that there's one that comes and rescues us. And then the other one that comes and leads us. Right. <laughs> the Mashiachs. <laughs> yeah, the Mashiach ben Yosef, they could have saved us. The Mashiach ben David will rule over us. Yep. Mm. Let me look at All right, what'd you find? So, I was telling I met earlier today that Oneg that, that I thought it was interesting that that Yeshua left the Galilee and, and camped at Capernaum for his for his uh, which is where he was. He, it was between the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? And that's significant. Well, it said, this is this is what it says. It says the tribe. This is uh, from Dami Bilar two seven. Dami Bilar, you said. Dami Bilar. Oh, Dami. Sorry, what did you say? Okay. The tribe of Zebulun. Says the tribe of. I get this. The word used for this for this word, the tribe of, is spelled mem tet hey. Says the Masoretic note means that the word appears twice in the Tanakh at the beginning of the verse. Here, Matei Zebulun, the tribe of Zebulun. Hashem will dispatch and. The second, the second part of that is Hashem will dispatch the staff of your strength from Zion, rule amid your enemies. Psalm one ten two. 
This sorely indicates the military prowess of Zebulun's warriors that they gain their magic ma mastery in the midst of their enemies, as it is written in Yehoshua 2.9. And all that the inhabitants of the land have melted because of you. And it says the connection between Zebulun and the verse from Joshua is unclear. But I'm going to just throw out there and say that there's basically a, uh, a tie into Yeshua here. Yeah. There he says, so they learn their mastery amongst their foes, which basically, like, they just, as they, as they are fighting, they learn how to fight. Like Mashiach growing in wisdom and in stature. That's kind of, uh, what's the, did you know, did it provide the Hebrew for the phrase <laughs> and fight and grow among your foes, essentially? Because we interesting to see if that was the same kind of terminology you should when he was in the temple teaching. Or even if he was, when he was debating the Pharisees. So that kind of goes back to the concept of like, if one of your theological points, if you can't argue why it's correct, you may try to kind of consider if it really is correct. You know, the kind of the point of oh, when we have debates and arguments, and not necessarily arguments is kind of a long word, but when we have like debates and discussions about certain like halachic disputes, uh, that's oftentimes when we grow amongst our foes. For surely, for sure. You see, you're saying if we can't prove it, then we don't, we can't have, can't say it's true. Moshe staff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The noun mate can mean staff or tribe. A psalm said, The Lord to my Lord, sit at my right until I make your enemies your footstool. That's just one tent, one kind of the whole footstool thing. Hashem will dispatch the your the, the tribe of your strength when you rule with your enemies. <coughs> Goodness over there.
Go. Okay, so Aaron's staff upon which the Amas miraculously grew was the staff of Judah. Others say it was the staff of Moshe. This staff was then kept in the temple until the latter was destroyed, at which time it was hidden away. In the future, this staff will be in the hand of Mashiach. May his arrival occur speedily in our days. As it is written, God will send the staff of your strength from Zion. Rule confidently amid your enemies. From in Barabah, 1823. Good night. What are you reading from? Oh, man. <laughs> what was it? Midrash Tehillim. Okay. Well then. I plugged the phone in. You, uh, you have a charger in your room, right? Thanks for that. Yeah, so I'll plug mine back into this um, battery thing. You want to use it? No. No, I'm just saying, because um, it's about to die. But when you go to my phone? Yeah. Oh, okay. If and when. switch over to your phone? No, 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 I'm charging those. Mine's at like 2%. I'm going to put mine in full power save mode. That's the problem. Like, mine wasn't even enough. That this thing wasn't even charging my phone. It was just keeping it alive. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, according to Rashi, the pillar of cloud was not even for light. And it says that. Uh, so it's we're talking about it's the Shekinah. But it's all about showing the way. And this is called the agent of Hashem, the Shliach of Hashem, which is also led by Hashem. So the whole thing about the pillar of cloud leading them, it's called Hashem leading them, but it's Hashem's agent. That's only doing what Hashem says. Anon. What? Anon. Anon? Yes. Two noons. Uh-oh. He's Kuni. It says, the pillar of cloud by day, the only other time we see the word Yomam, which is day, Occurs in the Torah when it describes the period between the sun shines on earth. On the other hand, the expression yom occurs 
Also, both in the Torah and in the rest of the Bible, when describing a particular day, regardless of whether daylight at, a t- at the time. In the Torah, we find Bamibar 3.13, although we know that it was midnight. In the book of the prophets, we find the word Yom applied to something that happened at night. So, it says, uh, Hayom Hazay Yom Besora, this day, the day of good tidings. It is clear from the context that these words were spoken at night. The speakers added, Let us wait with bringing this news until morning. Tehillim 88.2, we read, Yom Zatki or Zat. Zeakti Balila Negedka, a day when I cry out at night before you. The day I cry out at night. Yeah. Uh, what's the word for cry? That would be the Zaakti. Yep. Well, that's like what Boaz did. They, he got up and started um, trembling and stuff. <coughs> Shlomo, are you going to be all right over there? Yeah, I'm all right. I just got, I just got like a tickle in my throat. Oh, snap. Better drink some water.
man, there's like so many different places to go. Oh my goodness. Well, so in the Or Hakaim on Shemot fifteen twenty six, saying, "If you will carefully listen to the voice of Hashem your God, so if you will listen to and obey the statute and ordinance that were established in Marasah, as just stated in the preceding verse, then you will merit to hear the voice of Hashem in the future." Meaning. To receive the Torah and hear direct communication from Hashem, blessed is he at Sinai. This understanding of expression, hear the voice of Hashem, is in line with what Moshe said to the people in Devarim 4.33. Has the people ever heard the voice of Hashem speaking from the midst of the fire? According to this explanation, Moshe informed the people now that they would merit what they actually were granted later the privilege of receiving Torah and hearing direct communication from Hashem. However, at this time, before giving them the entire Torah, Hashem gave them the laws of Shabbat and monetary claims to test them and, and, and ascertain whether they would heed his word. And if they would pass the test and observe these commandments that he gave them now, he would later command them further and give them the entire Torah. This is what the Torah says above in the preceding verse and where he tested them, meaning by giving them several commandments, Adonai tested the people to see whether they would stand firm in future acceptance. So it's important. Huh? The, the, three, the three mitzvah, the three easy mitzvahs and three hard mitzvahs, you teach a convert while they're still mitzvah to Yes, I mean, it's a little late to be testing them, but it's still kind of the same principle, I guess. Right, because it's important what we do now that measures us hearing Hashem later when we're directly communicating with Him. Yeah. So if we can't listen to the prophets or even one that would rise from the dead, how much more so Mashiach ben David? Well, they're pretty much quoting the Deuteronomy because he says in Deuteronomy, you know, I give this commandment to test you, see what is in your heart. You know, will you love Hashem with all your heart, so much strength? That's right. And the Torah, you know, if you really want, if you really, really actually want to, wanting the Torah, and to a baby, with everything. Oh my goodness. Go. Standing at Sinai. And so I'm reading out of a book called The Broken Tablets, Restoring the Ten Commandments and Ourselves. <laughs> yeah, what, what? And ourselves? Oh my and word. And ourselves. Oh my word. You... This, 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 this paragraph that I'm about to read is called Standing at Sinai. That's what it says. Man, you got this book? That's the book. <laughs> yeah, let me, uh, let me show you guys. Yeah. 
Can't see, see anything. I see David. Yeah, hold on. There we go. Ooh, come on. Wow. Wow. That's good. I'm about to, I'm about to read to you guys. It says, when the Holy One gave the Torah, no bird chirped, no fowl flew, no ox lowed, not one angel stirred its wing or sang its song. The sea did not roar. Creatures did not speak. The whole world was hushed into breathless silence. It was then that the voice went forth. I am the Lord your God. With each and every word of the Holy One, the entire world was filled with a unique fragrance of spice. There it is. Each and every word broke into 70 languages as it spread, filling the earth with the teaching of God. Torah was given in the wilderness so all would receive it. And anyone who ever did or ever will embrace the covenant stood at Sinai, saw the thunder and lightning, smelled the fragrance, and heard the word, heard the word in a way that he or she could understand. Wait a minute. You're reading from a Jewish book, right? He's, says, looking, he's looking at it. Jewish, Jewish Lights Club Publishing. <laughs> he's looking at well, that's pretty Jewish. Because fragment to the Pesach lamb, as Matt says every Shabbat. Because in Acts chapter two, it says that. Uh, see, there are similar prophecies distant. Hold up! There we go. Both Yehudim and proselytes, Cretan and, uh, and Arab, Arabic, we hear them speaking in other languages of mighty acts of Hashem. And all had overwhelming awe and were bewildered, saying to one another, what, what can this mean? So when the tongues of fire are descending upon the town of Medim, everybody from all these different countries are hearing the Torah in their own language. Wow. Wait, is the, is the phrase, and they each understood in their own, not language, but that's just, each understood how, you know, individually, what, how they interpret it, or does that have to do with language? No, they can hear it in their own language. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking that the, the sages brought bring down how like you know every person has their own you know their own filter. No, it says, and at this sound, the multitude assembled and was bewildered because they were hearing each one in his own native language, his own lashona, in which the brothers in Mashiach were speaking. Yes. Yes. So, Shlomo, what he was just saying over there about their own language. And they understood it. Yep. Because wow. uh, the, other, the other thing about Naseb and Ishma, we will do and we will hear. Hearing implies understanding. Like it could be the same. It's the same right, word. We will hear, we will do. Well, then we'll hear. They didn't say we'll do and then we'll understand, but that hearing is just simply understanding. 
Did you hear me? It doesn't mean like you actually verbally hear me, but it's that you understand. Yeah, or or if That's you're good. in the uh, or even if you're even in the uh, the, the urban culture, they say you heard me. You know, right? right. You heard me. You heard. You know, what does that really mean? Uh, in the context, it's you should know. You should know. Well, because well, I mean, the kind of commandment you juxtapose to is the "I am not your God has moved you from the, uh, the land of Egypt to be God to you." Um, I am not your God. It is true. It says you were to know I am your God is true. It doesn't say you should believe it, right? Mm. Which is kind of, you know, it's been like, it's not a matter of some like deep, fall off esoteric faith to required to follow God. It should be very real, tangible uh, set of facts and reality that you could draw your belief from God in. Well, someone said earlier, me datenu. From our knowledge. Yeah, our, our kindred is from our knowledge, right? Our, essentially, our heritage back to Abraham and Venu should, should be able to be drawn through knowledge. It should not be a requirement, or it shouldn't be the reason why we do it, but it should. it is a side effect of following Hashem, is that we will know He is out of mind. Well, it's actually a play on words because da means to know, like, intimately. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, uh, 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 see here, who was it? You could give you several examples, but to know, to know is sexual, sexual connotations. Ahava and Adam, you know, he knew his wife. And then they had children. So it's a experiential knowledge, a deep intimacy type of knowledge. Like you're saying, it's not just like, you know, in your, in your head type of theological, you know, reasoning, but it's a, a knowing that's experiential, which, which is, you know, Shem manifest himself in Egypt and brought us out. And that, that way we knew him and, and so on and so forth. In many regards, he's shown himself in various ways, various times. Yeah. And then One thing what Rebel said tonight about the converts is that um, the, he didn't, the Jews are like a sheep that runs away from the wilderness and joins his flock. He didn't have to show them any miracles or give them anything. They just came by their own free will. They, they, they didn't need to see miracles. They didn't need to see the miracles in Sinai to know that this is my God and I want to be his people. Like, mm. they didn't need to know that to cleave to God like Ruth, uh, Ruth did. Yeah. Well, Which is interesting. So, um, they didn't have the manna. They didn't have the spinning of the sea. Who didn't? Exactly. Who are you talking about? Talk, just talking about converts. Converts in general. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, some did. I mean, I know, like in Deuteronomy, it says that the nations will see, you know, you you obeying Torah and see your wisdom, and say who, you know, what kind of great mitzvahs, what kind of great commandments, you know, what kind of great nation has such great laws as this? 
And then they'll they'll uh, be intrigued to convert. Um, you know, and the fear of Hashem fell upon all the nations. You know, when they were entering the land of Canaan, Canaan. You know, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, most converts are coming in from out out of out of from out from Israel. So a lot of the events obviously happened just with Israel. Hashem was close to them, and things, the events happened, you know, just locally. But like uh, I remember, Matt had mentioned just not too long ago how, you know, how much more so blessed are those who don't see but yet believe, compared to those who believe and don't see. You know, as Yeshua said, or as Yeshua said to Thomas, I think it was. Yep, Thomas. Stick your hand in the oh, the, 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 I share this, I think, with a bit. The gematria for the root de Becha, Ruth and Ruth clung or cleaved, has the same gematria as Vetzmach, uh, Adonai Elohim, Min Ha, Demakol, Eitz, Nechemad, which is, um, and Adonai commanded all the trees to grow that were pleasing to him. Or Adonai commands all the, yeah, Adonai. Commands Adonai God commands the trees to grow from the earth that are pleased pleasant essentially. I mean to translate poorly, um, which is because if you think like right the when Ruth cleaved, she essentially started the chain reaction that would create every single convert, starting with Abraham Avinu, the mixed multitude, every single Jew to convert, kind of at that very moment. Um, mm. That it was it was kind of in that exact moment that the chain re reaction started to where every pleasant God commands every single tree that is pleasant to grow, and we're, we're supposed to be trees grafted into Yeshua. Mm. So you know, being we, I feel like we are the good trees That's that God right. commands to grow. Amen. Wow, you're saying that the bare sheet. This this word, the same word when it comes to cling, clinging, cleaving. No, no, no. The gematria for and Ruth clung. Oh, is the, the gematria. Same gematria as the phrase. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I understand. Yeah. Well, I know. I know that. I think with. I mean, the sages speak about in the writings. You know, the cling to Hashem is, is obviously a bang as mitzvah. I think it has correlate with the, uh, Korah's rebellion. You know, and I think it's quoted even in in the synagogue. You know, if we're there in Shabbat, we're still heeding the voice of Hashem, that we are those who are still alive today, clinging to Hashem. Mm -hmm. And that Ooh, correlates with... Because we're a tree growing. And we're, yeah, yeah I guess, you know, we're, yeah. Yeah. We're like so a tree for you to grow, you got to be alive. Yeah, in order to grow, like Rabbi was saying, today we got to be grafted in, which is a swarm of kind of cleaving. At least when you're originally putting that one branch on, you kind of you know, well, so it's tie it in together. The word cleave, I mean, if you think, it's kind of like the word for the, the knock, right? The one that he, the, the tool he both uses to, to wound and to heal. Because mm. I mean, the word cleave can mean either to grasp onto something or like a meat cleaver um, to, to cut something off sharply. Great oh really? So is that really like, the, is that really the same word? Cle the cleaver, yeah. as in like for meat cleaver. That's that's yeah. It's all the same. Clean, from the same like, yeah. root. Yeah. Wow. 
which you know the fact that um, he does say that yeah he because I mean ultimately if you think the action of cleaving like Ruth did it's it's easy enough to say you know I see Shem and I want to follow him but the real the proof is in the pudding and the pudding (laughs) is when you know it's like you know hey sister hey brother hey mom hey dad you know why do you do this you know I don't appreciate this blah 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 you know we don't want to invite you to any of our parties anymore you know it's once you finally cut yourself off from your old family, when you truly cleave in both senses of the word, right? The not in, okay. Oh sorry, wow! In the in the uh, Eli Melech Eli Melech. When my husband died, all I was left with was the the uh, Vishani Bina, the two understandings. The two understandings. All she was left with were the two understandings of the word cleave. To be cut off of her people and to cleave to, um, was it Naomi she cleaved to? I, I guess so, I think. Right? Yeah, and to be joined yeah, to the people of Israel. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the duality of the word cleaver is, it's, it's more than just joining a people, it's leaving a people, right? Because mm-hmm. Naomi, the, ultimately it was Naomi's choice to go, or not Naomi. Ruth. Tamar? No. Who are you talking? The other lady. Oprah. Oprah. It was Orpah's decision to go back to her people. That was ultimately her not cleaving. Not necessarily... um, It it just kind of shines a light on the the word cleave. And kind of like what it really means. The fact that it wasn't an actual... It wasn't a... like It wasn't an action on uh, Orpah's part. It was a lack thereof. Mm. It's really interesting, man. I know that, like, you know, salvation, it's both being saved from something, you know, your sins, the world, Asatankar, Sabihi, you know, the Yitzhahara, but then, too, you're you're being saved into something, you know, which is the Ulamaba, which is, you know, a new heart now and then. Which is, you know, all that, you know, and the fact that we were brought out of Egypt, we were brought out of Egypt in order to receive the Torah. So it's a, it's a cutting off from Egypt and a clinging to Hashem and Torah. Yeah. You're no longer slaves, but you're, you're no longer slaves to, to Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, but you're, um, but you're slaves to Hashem, slaves to righteousness. Yeah, I mean, in the concept of life. freedom being subservient, you know, like, you, the, it, it, to be truly free is to be in bondage because without any laws or rules you were so worried by having to do there's so many things to worry about if you don't have any laws or rules that you are now consumed by the lack of them yeah right well you know a man whatever whatever a man is mastered by that is or no whatever a man is you know Swayed by that's his master. Your slave, yeah. whatever. Yeah, what are your slave, whatever masters you. And so, if you don't have any laws, well, then you're going by whatever is simply swaying you, every which and then in any direction, like yeah. you know, reed tossed in the wind or whatever it be. And therefore, you're, you know, you're not. Yeah, you're not a master, and that you know, to be f- your own master is true freedom. You know, to have full discipline. 
self-discipline yeah. is rings well, most discipline. To submit yourself to Hashem. Because, right, like the Omar meditation for a couple days ago was talking yeah. about the, uh, how we're not just along for the ride. We are essentially co-creators of, or co- like co-makers of creation. Yeah, that and was how, good. You know, we need to, we need to use, you know, act and talk. Um, not just as people just kind of watch, you know, the sidelines, but as people directly involved in the making of the universe. Wow, that's really good. That's a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah, and and everything's you know, you know, timely. If we're doing things according to certain times, then we're out or or not. We don't benefit from the you know the open heavens or the gates being open to the blessings or the whatever it be. So we have to make the most of every opportunity and the most of the time because the days are evil and. And time's flying by, you know, so mm-hmm. you're right about that very much, so yeah. it's huge. Wait, the Torah was... He wanted the Torah to land in, in in Egypt, you said? No, I'm just saying, like, like that's why he wanted to redeem us out of Mitzrayim. Because it of... Wasn't a, it, was, it wasn't a place for us to, to grow how he wanted us to grow. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, when the whole covenant is, is with the land and, like, all the promises... I mean, even, yeah, even if. Um, it talks about uh, how ultimately the, the, it's Hashem's land. Yes, that was so in last week's talk portion. 
yeah, it was when I was talking about the, the Shemitah year, how when it all reverted back, ultimately it was Hashem's land in the first place that he'd given. So that's why he said to let it revert back, because I was the one that gave it to you. Yeah, yep, the land is mine. Yeah, that's really good. I was I guess uh, support tag for um, Shlomo's comment um, in in Acts seventeen uh, I believe it's Kifa preaching let me see here um, no Shaul Shaul is preaching um, and amongst idol worship he was. Preaching to, to obviously Goim, um, let's see here, in Athens, and he says he passed by one of their idols, which said, which, which was written to an unknown mighty one, not knowing then whom he, you worship. So he's saying, for, for passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. An unknown mighty one, not knowing then whom you worship, I make him known to you. Yeshua, who made, uh, sorry, Adonai, who made the world and all that is in it. This one, be, this one being master of the heavens and the earth, does not dwell in dwellings made with hands, nor is he served with man's hands as if needing any, himself giving okay, to. Okay, yeah. Hasidic Insights, before, I think it was Bamidbar, it was talking about when it says, by the, the, the dwelling made by hands, the Biyad, or by Yadad or whatever, yeah. it was talking about the three clans of Levi, the, you know, the Gershonites, the Mayorites, <laughs> and the, the Kohathites, and it, it went into this really cool thing how it, it compared them to um, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. And, oh, I don't remember exactly the other one. What was it? I don't remember, but basically it was saying what it said hands, what it meant was the three tribes that made the tabernacle. So carry on, but that was... Mm. Right, 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 because the dwelling, yeah, the dwellings made by hands was the likened to the tabernacle and those tribes made those made the tabernacle yeah or instructed that's that's good that's good yeah nor it's just yeah and it says nor is he served with man's hands as if needing anything he himself giving to all life and breath and all and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in the all the face of the earth having ordained beforehand the times and the boundaries of their dwelling, to seek the master as if at least they would reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live, and in him we move, and in him we are, 
as also some of your own poets have said, if we are also we're we're all his offspring. Now then, since we are the offspring of God, we should not think that the God is like gold or silver, or stone or image made by the skill and thought of man. Truly then, having overlooked these times of ignorance, God now commands all men everywhere to repent. <laughs> no mercy. Over so it says, not gold or stone or silver made by the skill of human hands, but the tabernacle itself was made by Shem's hands. The, ha- the sh- one Shemai, Shem, Shemai. Yeah, all the, all the images and stuff of Shem were made by him. Yes. Oh, yes. Right, because... All the idols, or all the images of God made by human hands. Amen. Right, because otherwise you contradict himself. Yeah. Definitely, so true. Because he has has a Mishkan that he dwells in, in the heights of the heavens, that's tangible and touchable. And then he has... And he had, obviously, I mean, right now it's destroyed, but... um. Nonetheless, nevertheless, his promise is that he will dwell in the Mish, you know, Betamikdash again when Mashiach rebuilds it, and it will last forever, like we talked about earlier this evening. <laughs> He'll make it, you know, it's his home, it's his, his abode. He said this. He said there's rooms, you know, for the priests. He said if I wasn't, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. But there'll be many rooms in my father's house. That's good. So, Tag, or Hachaim over here is talking about the letters of Torah teaching the people Torah. So, it says that uh, when Hashem spoke, the people couldn't do any more than two commandments. Okay, well, he, but he spoke two commandments, right? He spoke, no, he spoke two words. Yeah, well, he spoke on Oki, which was all the Torah. And then he finished out that whole thing, that whole statement. Mm. But then... It's, did, did they hear it as, as just the two? They could not hear that. Uh-huh. So it's breaking down that the wow. people, they could not hear all of Hashem's utterances at once. Therefore, when Hashem let the Jews hear them, he succeeded in hearing only two out of the Ten Commandments. So after these two, that's when the people were like, okay, that's enough. We can't do this. So then it says they could not grasp any more commandments in this manner. Instead of instead, the remaining eight commandments were formed into Aish Miklo, tongues of fire, which were created by his voice. And it says, as the verse states, Tehillim 29.7, the voice of Hashem forms flames of fire. Or Hakim suggests that these flames of fire were actually angels that were created out of Hashem's utterances. So then it says, they remained arranged on the mountain until the souls of the Jewish people were returned through the dew of revivication. Then those commandments, which were essentially the sounds that went forth 
from the mighty one, holy, the mighty one, blessed is he, we're now in a more mundane form of fire. So this is how they see the sounds, because when Hashem spoke, they manifested into a form. So then, yeah, which is why what? Is it which is fire? Is that what you said? Which is fire, yes. Okay. So then it says, these commandments, which were essentially sounds, went forth in forms of fire and communicated themselves to each of the Jews. And Yes. Does it ever say how Hashem's talking? Is there any room for any info on that? Is it Hashem himself speaking or well, an agent of Hashem speaking? It's utterances. So he spoke with mighty utterances. So so that's why, that's why Rabbi the last time he did that was Bereshit in the creation event. Yep. With, with, I mean, I'm thinking that's the last time he that which I mean is one of the same, right? We were talking about how bear sheet Yom Echad was considered the unpacking, not the creating. But right. Simply, they had learned all the Torah through Anochi, mm-hmm. but they had to unpack it over seven days, I guess. Right. Yeah, Anochi. I wrote myself down and gave it to you oh, yeah. when he says, "I am Hashem, your God." So then it says that if you look at this, it says that Or Hakim's understanding, this teaching refers to the latter eight commandments. The first two commandments were heard directly from God without an intermediary. Right. From the mighty mouth. From the mighty mouth. So then I'm looking over here on the footnote and it says... Indeed, you will find that our sages of blessed memory said in Shir HaSharim Rabbah 113 and Zohar Volume 2, 146a, that each and every commandment would stand before each and every Jew and say to him, do you accept me upon yourself? And he would answer it, yes, whereupon the commandment would hug and kiss him. And then ascend and become a crown upon his head. What? Yeah. Pretty much. So you got you got a whole mitzvah. Manifested into a physical form. Yes. And then became a crown. And became a crown. I got that one. Oh my word. So then it says Did they get that, one? that uh yeah. God spoke all these statements. It means he said them in his great might, indicated by the name Elohim. For he spoke all ten commandments in one utterance, as we explained above. And when it states to say, it means that he also created a power within the commandments themselves to say the following words to the Jews should the need arise as indeed occurred. That when the Jews were incapable of hearing all the mitzvot from the mouth of the Almighty, 
the commandments themselves spoke to them as we have written. The first two commandments, the two commandments, the two commandments they did get from the mouth of God were what? The, the have no idols before me and... I might know your God who brought your land. Uh, the, first, the first one is, I am the Lord your God and took you out of the land of Israel. Man, yep. That's the first one. Taking you out of the house of slavery, as a matter of fact. Yeah, so I'm saying, man, take you out of the house of bondage. I freed you from bondage. It's amazing. You did... What? I was going to say, it's amazing. Go, go, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's amazing that he didn't say, he didn't say, I am, you know, the God who, of the heavens and the earth. Or the creator of the heavens and the earth. He says he goes right to, you know, Shemot. He goes right to the Exodus. He speaks about that. The salvation. Yeah, the salvation. You think you think that the most grandiose, you know, title would be king of the heavens and the earth. I mean, there's mention in the in the in the Tanakh, but not as many times at all compared to how many times well, he references. Let's talk about how Shemot. the world was created for teshuva or sorry salvation. So it stands to reason that mm. Hashem takes more pride in redeeming us from Egypt than He does in creating the entire world. Wow! And really? This asks this asks the question right here. It says, "What did the people here at Mount Sinai?" Right. It says all they heard was the first letter, the Aleph of Anoki, <laughs> but it is a silent letter. Right. Yes. What the people heard, it says, yes. What the people heard at Sinai was the sound of the Holy One, blessed be He, opening a gateway, as if opening a mouth to begin to speak, the beginning of a conversation, and it was enough. Ooh. And it says, wouldn't we know that it is God who speaks? It is necessary to identify God as the one who appeared. In various guises, i.e., various manifestations. No. A man, a man of war at the sea, an elderly scholar full of mercy at Sinai. What? What are you reading at? I don't know. What, what is this? Yeah, he's a backup and repeat. This is, quote, <laughs> this is quote. I alone was in Mitzrayim. I alone was at the sea. I alone was at Sinai. It was I in the past, and it will be I in the future. It is assumed from the very beginning that our experience of God is fragmented, incomplete, and even contradictory. Oh. We experience God in different ways at different times in our lives. Each what? person apprehends God according to his or, own, his or her own capacity and experience. The first teaching then must be, it is I, I am. The one God of your life. I am the one. Oh our, my word. When we can see our experiences as part of the whole and share that with each other, when we have learned of the divine, we can be, begin to understand the achadness of Hashem. Wow. This is this is so important why Hashem is achad. Bookmark that. Yeah, we need pictures. Because, I mean, that completely summarizes the whole thing we've been learning at Lapide for the past couple of years. Yeah. That was like two 
years of intense struggle and, um, you know, almost half the shul almost leaving, explained in like a page and a half of text. <laughs> wow. So then um, if he says you shall have no other gods before me, it's saying that the literal text in this verse says... Elohim Akarim Al Panai. You shall have no other gods. Uh, literally Al Al Panai, like up on me or above me. Wow. And then the other one is you shall not make the images. Right, so the first two commandments that they would have heard, if we really look at what's written here, it's all about having no other gods and making no form of Hashem. Mm -hmm. So that's all they could hear. And yeah. I'm thinking that that's all they could hear because like we just heard from each Pela with such a violent drop, that there were so many manifestations of Hashem that it's all fragmented. And I mean, this is beyond what they could really comprehend and grasp. Yeah, I suppose the, you just got here in the middle of the desert at this giant event at this mountain and He's, he's, and, and just this, and it's the single, he opened his mouth to say the Aleph in Anochi, and it was confusing enough to where they're like, all right, hold on a Shem, before you even start talking, break it down. Yep. Well, you know, there's a, a passage in Thessalonians. <laughs> I'm sorry. What'd you say? I said they didn't tag. Oh, wow. They didn't tag. They didn't tag. They didn't tag. I'm thinking about Thessalonians, how the lawless one will be destroyed. Mm. And we're seeing a prototype of that when Hashem barely even got the olive out and everybody died. So what let's... Do you mean everybody died? Yeah, uh, 3,000. 3, no, no, not no. that one. Oh, sorry. That was, yeah. Never mind. Mixing up two stories. Oh, but he revived them. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. I read, that, I read that earlier. That was a search earlier. Talking about the rain and the dew. That's yeah. what I was reading earlier. Yeah, yeah. Man. Okay.
Where's that passage about the lawless one and you'll be given over to deception? No, it's second Thessalonians, isn't it? Is it second Thessalonians? Yeah. But I am not hundred percent chance. Pretty sure though. Pretty sure it's sickness. Cause it talks about he'll give you over to there we go. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 10. And with all the deceptions of wickedness for those who are perishing, because they were not receiving of the love of truth, so they have the so that they would have the Geula. And for this reason Hashem sends to them a powerful false enticement. And delusion in order that they may believe what is false. This is the purpose of condemning to Gehenna all the ones who have no Imuna in the truth, but instead they have delight in wickedness. And then it keeps going at some point and it says that. Uh, Yeah, here it is. It's verse 8. Go So go back. So in verse 8 it says, And when the man of lawlessness will be revealed, whom Mashiach Yeshua will destroy by the Ruach of his mouth, and will wipe out at the appearance of his second coming. So the mouth of power that Hashem spoke in is the same mouth of power that he's going to use to wipe out the lawless one. Say that again? So the same, same, the same words, the same mouth. That the same mouth that spoke for, spoke for life and Torah. Yeah. The same mouth that will kill and destroy, which it correlates with what David said, like, with, you know, he both heals and kills yeah. from the same well, source because um, cause death brings life the you know the kind of the fact that the Torah is life so when he comes and restores the Torah um, if you're not in the Torah you're going to die right? the, the concept of your thoughts and prayers being a teva when he floods the earth again you know with fire He's going to flood it with fire. Yeah, well, so Torah. you're going to make sure you're in your teva. Yes, though, we talked about this in a couple, uh, I think it was Parsha Behukotai. We were talking about the works that are proved and tested by fire. So the second flood that's going to happen, the flood of fire, is going to really be Hashem's voice covering the earth. And interestingly enough, Or Hakim keeps going in his commentary over here, and he says that let them hear his voice and all its strength in order to discipline them, purging them of their impurity. 
As Devarim 4.36 says, From heaven he calls you to hear his voice in order to discipline you. The overwhelming experience of hearing the full strength of Hashem's voice disciplined them by removing all traces of impurity. And we're wiping out the lawless one with the Ruach of Hashem. And so right here, we can see that the hearing the voice of Hashem will cause impurity to be removed. And Kifa says, you know, by his word, just, he's talking about scoffers, they'll come the last day, scoffing, they'll say, um, you know, ever since our forefathers died, you know, our forefathers being Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the things have gone on as they have since the beginning of creation until now. And, and then Yaakov says, but they forget one thing that, you know, the heavens and the earth were created by his word. And were sustained by his word, and then, and then, uh, that that then that time of Noah, you know, through the word, he he caused you know the large, the massive, the worldwide deluge, you know, of the flood, the great flood, and uh, and the same with the same word that created the creation, and that brought the flood is the same word that he's he's going to bring fire and to consume the fire. Uh, assume the earth with fire and to cleanse it and purify it in order to yeah. in order to in order to set in order to cleanse it and make it a new yeah. home of righteousness. Two days to uh, purify a dish. Yeah, you use water and fire. Oh my word! Wow, come on. Dude. So wait, you mikvah your dishes in the mikvah of Mashiach Yeshua? Like Mashiach mixes us in fire and water, and that's how we do our dishes. Isn't that what um, was it? Yochanan that said it. I come and baptize you with water, but he's the one coming after me will baptize you with fire. Yes. Yeah, but I'm saying with the vessels, the vessels that we oh, eat yeah. from and partake our nourishment from, have the same mikvah that we get from Mashiach. Well, think about it. Our bodies are the vessels that we interact with this world in. That's just uncalled for. Yeah, to make some... To make... What is the term? But to make some dishes kosher, we can eat... We can simply just mix them. Kashrooting them. And water. And water. Really hot water. Tavel, yeah. Tavel, scolding them. But others... Others... You have to either break and throw away, but some you, you can use fire. You can use fire. Use no, you water. have to. Well, I mean, I'm saying some dishes you can't use either. That's what I'm saying. Like you coarse ones. Mm-hmm. But isn't there some like the metal certain pots and stuff like that? You yeah, you have those? to. You have to use fire to uh, purify them. Well, wow, they both just went out. <laughs> Shalom. Oh, when it comes to school. Oh, Davi. Okay. Oh, Hadar is out. Okay. Did they school? Oh yeah. Did they? Did they? Sc- yeah, he did. Yep, he's gone. Okay. He's, he didn't say goodbye. <laughs> okay. Shalom. Uh, what were you saying though? Well, I mean, like, do we? Do they? We heat up the water to scolder to scolder the dishes. Mm-hmm. But then also we use the fire apart from water. To yes, s- apart from water. Yeah, okay, okay, wow. Which would be the pillar of cloud and the fire by night. 
Uh, and this is that's why the text mm. says that they were Mikfoot in Moshe and the clouds because that was fire and water. Wow. What? What? Yeah. Well, we are vessels. Okay, so what I'm trying to track down is, is it says that we receive holiness for eternity by having the spirit of impurity removed. So yeah. when Hashem spoke to the Jewish people at Harsinai, he let them hear his voice and all his strength. This overpowering experience removed all traces of impurity from their souls. The sages in Shabbat 152b compare the soul with which Hashem entrusts to us as a royal garment that the king entrusts to his servant with the expectation it be returned pure and clean as it was when given to him. Or Hakim therefore portrays the removal of impurity from the souls of the Jewish people as the cleansing of filth from their royal garments. Wow. So in other words, Hashem gave us these garments that they be purified because he expects us to keep listening to him. He, he, bought, he bought these garments with a price, but it's a gift for us. Go they ahead, mini tag. Isn't there um, the story of the was it the prophet that showed up with the dirty clothes and he was like, um, you know, what are you guys doing? You know, get him clean clothes, wash his hand and feet. Really? And put a clean shirt on his head. That's Zachariah. Yeah, Zachariah. And yeah. and who was the one that was filthy? Alright. So do y'all know that story of why his rags were filthy? Yeah, I do. Well, it's in the top. Well, okay, so basically it's... Uh, as, dude, it's okay, correct me if, if, if I'm telling the story, if I'm not doing it justice, I'm not quoting word for word, you can, you can step in at any moment and, and, and fix it. But isn't it basically goes that, um, that there were two other men... Yep. That, that were talking to, I forget, the king and, and, and Babylon at the time. Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Uh-huh. I think. Okay, so they thought, gave him a false prophet or a false prophecy about something yeah. about marrying his daughters or doing something with his daughter. That's right. And, uh, Sounds like the Christians. God so, told me to marry you. It, wow. was, it was not a prophecy from Hashem. They were saying it was from Hashem <laughs> that, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to yeah. be with your daughter. Oh, and then he's, he says, well, okay, if it, if it is, then I'm going to just go throw you in the furnace. And then he says, they didn't want to be thrown in the furnace, so they thought that this guy, Yehoshua, I think it was Cohen at the time. Mm -hmm. They brought they brought uh, Yehoshua and they threw him in the fire, too. Mm -hmm. And they died, but he... His, 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 garments, his garments were burnt, but he survived. That's right. And they asked him, you know, why? Why is it that uh, you know that you yeah. didn't you didn't die, but they they died? He's like, well, they were wicked, 
And he's like, okay, well, you should have you should have came out fully like untouched or nothing like that. He's like, well, because since I was close to them, I I my garments got burned too because I just because I was close to them. He's like, well, why, why not in the, in the case of uh, Azariah, Mishael, and uh, forget the other guy. Yeah, he was just like he was like. Uh, Am I am I saying it wrong or is this is this how it goes? I can't remember exactly. Well, I I I have it right here. It's tractate Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, there you go. So it says that. Um, okay, so it says thus says Hashem, the Lord of Hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahav and Zedekiah. Those are the two guys who prophesy unto you in my name with falsehood. And of them there shall be taken up a curse by all captivity of Yehuda, who are in Babylon, saying, May the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Akav, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. So then it says that Rab Yochanan in the name of Rab Shimeon ben Yochai. Hmm, heard that before. Infer that this or infer from this that they were roasted as people roast grain because they have done scandalous deeds in Israel and committed adultery with the wives of their neighbors. And what did they do? They went to the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Achab said to her, Hashem commanded me to tell you that you should listen to Zedekiah. And the other one said the same. Then she should hearken to Achab. And she straightway went to her father, to which he answered, It is known to me that their God abhors incest. Well, this is interesting. So the king of Babylon knows that incest is like something Hashem like absolutely hates. Right? So then it says, When they shall come to you again, send them to me. When they did come, she sent them to her father. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, who told you to do so? And they said, the Holy One, praise be he. Mm. Prophesying falsehood, like, really? In the name of Hashem? That's blasphemy. But but we, we did wonders and miracles in your name. And Mashiach will say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Right? So... He says, who told you so? They prophesied that. And it says, but Hananiah and his colleagues told me such a thing is prohibited. Now, this incident with Yehoshua and these two kings happened after the three boys are thrown into the furnace and Hashem delivers them. So he's going off the case precedent of if you're going to prophesy to me in the name of Hashem, then you'll be delivered from the fire, which means the fire that we're going to be delivered from with the second flood means that we're truly in the name of Hashem, i.e. our works will be proved and tested as if by fire. So then it says that Hananiah told me such a thing is prohibited. They answered, we're also prophets. Oh, it just keeps getting deeper. They we're prophets as they are. Which remember the merit of those three guys and who they were connected with that Rabbi brought down. And then it says that um, 
He says, and this command, although not given to them, was nevertheless given to us. So, you know, we're prophets like them, but Hashem didn't tell them what he's telling us, is what these two guys are saying. So I know they're all righteous and all, but, you know, we follow the spirit over here. And then it says that uh, the king said, well, then I'll try you like I tried Hananiah and his colleagues. And to their claim... They were three, and we are only two. Well, he said, okay, fine. Well, choose a third one, whoever you would like. And they selected Yehoshua, the high priest, thinking that his merit was, was so great that it would save them. I don't know. For some reason, I can't help but think, if you're going to be lawless and select Yeshua, like, even that merit that he gives to us won't even save you. Which is yeah, why... upon the sacrifice. Which, yeah, There's which no is why he would for, say, depart from me. There's no sacrifice for outright, deliberate rebellion against the governance of God. So, they select... It's all about what your motive is, you know? These guys' motive is clearly something different than what the will of Hashem is, you know? Right? So then it says, Yehoshua was brought in, and all three of them were thrown into the furnace. They were burned, but Yehoshua was saved. Only his garments were singed. And this is what is meant by the passage in Zechariah 3. And he showed me Yehoshua the high priest standing before the angel of Hashem. And Hashem said unto the accuser, Hashem rebuke you, O accuser. And Hasatan said to him, I know that you're an upright man, but why did the furnace or why did the fire affect your garments? Which was not the case with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he answered, They were three, and I were one. But was not Abraham the patriarch? Also, only one when he was thrown into the fire. With Abraham, said he, there were no wicked whom the fire was granted permission to affect. But with me, there were two wicked and such permission was given to the fire. So now the fire can only burn and consume if it has permission. OK, that's crazy to me. I, I mean, whoa. Talim, I think it's uh, yeah, kind of like kind of like the uh, the oil that the olive oil that burned for all of Shabbat. Oh, you know wait a minute! You know, well, he commanded it to, to burn. Guy, they, come, they command the the, uh, the really the oil for the lamps to burn. Can oh, this olive oil and and he can command the waves and the wind. When Talim, it says he. Command. It's here. He makes his winds, his messengers, and flames of fire his servants. Whoa! Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to try to finish this. Okay, it says, There were uh, two wicked, and such permission was given to the fire. And this is what people say. If there are two dried pieces of wood. Oh, Yokonon 15, here we are. The branches disconnected. They are dried wood. They're thrown into the fire. Wait, the sticks? 
Yep. Mentioned in- the two sticks are these two kings. They're disconnected. And then it says... No, but the two kingdoms looked... Is this one's two staffs? It's not something, something different, right? Something different. Oh, this is okay. this is calling Zedekiah and Ahav two dried pieces of wood. Mm, okay. Okay. Wow. And one green one is in between these two dry pieces. The green piece will burn with the dry ones. But why was he punished? Rav Papa said because his sons married such wives who were not fit for the priesthood. And he did not protest against it. And this is what is meant by the passage, Zechariah 3.3. Yehoshua was clothed in filthy garments. Was it then the habit of Yehoshua to wear filthy garments? Question mark. But infer from this that his sons married such wives who were not fit for the priesthood and he did not protest against it. Wow. And then they go into the six barley loaves. Yeah, that was, I was looking for this earlier tonight. Can oh. please talk about this? I'm so glad you found this. Because, like, seriously, when we were talking about the six barley, I had read this. This is like, uh, <sighs> I, I, didn't, I knew it was a Sanhedrin. I just didn't know where. Okay, but check this. I'm glad the shortbread was two stacks of six, right? No, listen to what he's about to drop. Please drop this, please. Okay. Rav Tankum said... Bar Kapara lectured in Sephoria. What does the passage Ruth 3.17 mean? It says, these six barleys gave he unto me. What does that mean? How are six barleys to be understood? Should we take it literally? Like, would a man like Boaz give six grains of barley as a gift? Or shall we assume that it means measures of barley? How can a woman carry six measures of barley? Therefore, the six barleys were a prediction that in the future, six sons would come out of her. Each of them would be blessed with six blessings. David, Mashiach, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And then it breaks down each one. You want me to read that part too? There's a part where it talks about, um, see, because I, I, I don't know if it's the same thing that Nate dropped, but because that's what I thought, that's what I thought his source was. I thought it was that, what you're reading right there. Right. But, um, but does it, does it say anything different than what the six, the six, is it, does it just bring up the, the passage from Isaiah? No, uh, it says, uh, David, as it's written, first Samuel 16, 18. Yeah, he was. He was a. Uh, okay, yeah. Read, read this. Read this. This is what, this Be, is what I was trying. To... Behold, I've seen a son of Yeshai the Bethlehemite, who is a skilled a player, and yeah. a mighty valiant man, a man of war, an intelligent in speech, a person of good form, and the Lord is with him. Rabbi Yehuda, huh? Yeah, they break on the down. Oh, they go into something else after this. No, they they break it all down into what that means. Like they say, like okay, this uh, plays music means something, and then like each description about oh. means something. Wow! So the six descriptions is that the six AI at least. I mean, wow! 
And then it says, who understands argument, the dispute, the dis, the disputations of Torah, intelligent speech. He understands how to derive one thing from another, like an argument by analogy. A person of good form who is able to give good reasons for halakha. Hashem is with him. The halakha always prevails with him. Yes. To all the things mentioned above by Shaul said, my son Yonatan possesses all the same qualities. But when he heard that the halakha prevailed with him, a qualification which he himself did not possess, he felt discouraged and began to be jealous. For concerning Shaul, it is written, 1 Samuel 14, 47, And with, with whosoever he turned himself, he caused terror. And about David, it is written, And whatsoever he turned to, he was successful. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty good to get you something right there. All right, I'm taking a screenshot of this. Yeah, I took a screenshot too. I just couldn't find it. <laughs> wow. At least not when I needed it because then we swerved off into something else. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting that one of his gifts is to be able to derive, you know, uh, what does it say? One thing from another? Yeah. See, because whenever I read that, I was thinking like how the sages do. Like the sages are always like, or how to like how how uh, how how just for example how Pirkei the Rabbi Eliezer says you know that the the earth was made from 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 with snow from beneath the throne of glory. He's like, well, how do we know that? It's from from Job, you know. Oh my he goodness! Says, he tells the earth become like or tells the snow become become earth, you know. Wow. <laughs> Man. <laughs> It's all from Yitzhak, right? Just going through. Well, we got to that because we're, I was saying, do we know where uh, the story of Yehoshua came from with the filthy garments? Oh, I was trying to look up. Because we brought up Zechariah. We're talking about Zechariah, the, uh, the priest's dirty garments. Yeah. All right, here it is. Okay, support tag. Support tag. Well, I have a support tag. The chickens have been crowing for like an hour and a half. I'm not sure exactly what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> <laughs> the chickens? What chickens? Wait, the rooster is crowing? Yeah, it's been crowing since like four in the morning. So hey, I'm don't deny sure. the sacrifice. That's all I gotta say. Okay. All right, so. so I just kind of want to. Oh, go ahead. You got support text. I yeah. don't know tag up to you. Okay, um, Revelation to Yochanan on the Shabbat. To the messenger of the assembly of Sardis write, he who has the seven rock, uh, rocks of Adonai, the rock, seven stars, says this, I know your works, that you have named that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before God. Remember then how you have received and heard. <laughs> what? Wow. Watch. And repent. If then you do not wake up, I shall come up upon you as a thief, and you shall not know at all what hour I come upon you. Nevertheless, 
You have few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they should walk me in white because they have because they are worthy. Ooh. He who overcomes shall be dressed in white robes, and I shall by no means blot out his name from the book of life. But I shall confess his name before my father and my before his messengers. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Ruach says to the assemblies. Let him understand. That's right. Those ears let them hear, and those whose eyes let them see. See. Go, Shema Israel. Okay, so, oh. so I just want to equip us because, you know, there's always talk about, like, oh, Yeshu and the Talmud, or, you know. Yeah. They always like to say, they always like to, to say stuff that's not true, or or trick people into thinking that it is Yeshua Hano 3. So I stumbled upon this, and it says, this is Yehoshua ben Prachia. So this says, Yehoshua ben Prachia lived about 200 years before the destruction of the temple. Whoa. So we know that the temple was destroyed in 70... Uh, AD. AD, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, the second temple was... The sec- well, this is the second temple. Uh, if, it, if it was the first temple, we're not even. There's not even an argument for anything. But, but we're talking about the second temple here. So then they go on to say that okay, so that's the time the time period he lived in. And they said that while staying at an inn, they're talking about a, a teaching come from I think Sota. Okay. Soto 47a, this is this is where it's from. It says, while staying at an inn, during his return trip, one of his students commented on that the hostess was not beautiful because her eyes were round. Yahushua excommunicated this student for being preoccupied with the looks of a married woman. Ooh. He repeatedly rejected the student's attempt to repent. The last time the student came to repent, Yahushua had, had intended to ex- accept his repentance. But since he was in the middle of reciting Shema, he motioned to him with his hand to wait. The student understood this wave to be another rejection and never came back. He eventually began to worship idols and by practicing sorcery that he learned in Egypt, convinced other Jews to follow in his idolatrous ways. Mm. This led the sages to say a person should always reject with the left and weaker hand and befriend with the right. Unlike Yehoshua ben Prachia, who pushed away the infamous man with both hands. Mm. He once met wow. up with the student later on and encouraged him again to, re- to repent. The student replied, you taught me that he who passes to sin shall not be granted the opportunity to repent. Sanhedrin 47a, it says, according to, it says, according to a source, the student in the story was Ye- Yeshu of Naz- Nazareth. But again, I'm just tell, I'm just kind of warning everybody that that's that can't be the case because they just got done saying that this rabbi who put who rejected the students' repentance lived 200 years before the destruction of the temple. Well, who's commentary? No There's no way he could have been his his talent. You know? who's, who's giving commentary that, that this would be Yeshua of Nazareth? Well, because his name. Is, uh, this is this is actually in the Kehot Perkei Avot. Yeah, the people who say Yeshu are the ones who are saying that that's tied to Messiah Yeshua. Right. Like the modern commentary on yeah. this Yeshua of notesery 
of Nazareth, like they're saying, no, he's Yeshua. And it's just like, no. It can't be if that's if Yeshua that's is from 200 Wait, years. And that, and that, and that, only, that, only, that only works on people who just who get to the final, final thing and they kind of... They don't know. They don't know about you know what time, what era this rabbi lived in, and so they they kind of just like oh then you know they kind of take it to to truth or they, you know they, they turn away from the Talmud or whatever what have you. But I just I, I like like Amit was saying it's just a modern a modern uh ad. It's like it's almost, it's almost like it's almost like uh thus he declared all foods clean. It's not in the Talmud. You know what I mean? It's a right. it's, it's and that's the thing. We all have to have midatenu. We have to have from our knowledge, from our knowing. And that's the only way to survive all these different attacks. Because everything is preyed off of, of ignorance. I mean, right. to use a completely secular analogy, the destruction of the world right now is occurring because of media. Because of entertainment. Like, no one's getting real news, real facts to help them understand how they should be responding. And now they're using emotions and feelings and uh, movies and pop culture to drive and inform them. So much so that it's even thought now that Israel are the ones who are called settlers in the land of the Palestinians. And so all the destruction and violence is happening in the Middle East is because they got Jews trying to take over. Like that's yeah, that's literally a thought. Yeah, I know. I know. That's sad. And that's the sad part because no one has a knowledge and understanding no one's informed and i would even go as bold to say the people in the church who are anti-semitic and who are anti-torah they are thoroughly misinformed which is why they have the positions that they have and that they take like it should bother a believer in the messiah yeshua that they say oh well i'm not going to do that because i'm not jewish like the fact that that doesn't bother you shows that you're not informed because your Messiah, who you say you're intimate with, is everything Jewish. Yeah, but they, they in the Catholic Church, man, they 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 thoroughly suppress that. You know what I'm saying? Or or they teach that he was, but he's not anymore. You know, he ceased living there. I mean, which is. I guess if you think about it, it's kind of all perpetuated throughout Christianity, but I mean... Yeah, um, but the only thing with that, though, is when he returns, like Rabbi said, they're going to be really surprised. You know, because if you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden you think the script literally flips, you know, with the birth of Messiah or with Paul's writings... Or with, you know, 325, the Council of Nicaea. Like, that's a problem because you've, you've done exactly what the Bible has taught you not to do. 
kind of like when Rabbi brought that down about the whole manifestation of Hashem, that the Torah teaches you Hashem manifests in all these different forms just to let you know that Hashem doesn't manifest. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, how, how, did you, how did you get to that, to that, yeah, I got you We still have David with us, or no? D- David's putting his head down. Ooh, I've sometimes been <laughs> bobbing here in the two. But hey, um, what about, uh, man, that reminds me, um, what was that? What were you saying? So, yeah, just the ignorance. Man, I had a thought, and I lost it. Well, speaking of ignorance, Or HaKaim, talking about hearing the voice of Hashem, it says that if anyone hears Torah from the mouth of another person, it is liable to be forgotten unless he reviews it constantly. But on the other hand, if one hears a Torah teaching from the mouth of the Most High, it will be retained in his memory forever and ever. This then is what Hashem meant when he said, and you will keep my covenant, i.e. by hearing Torah directly from me. Mm. So then you think about Messiah Yeshua. The Torah speaking, spoken directly from Hashem. Because he says, I only speak what I hear my father in heaven speak. Mm-hmm. Which is also a great point to the nation of Israel because they know that they should serve no other God. And that's one thing they haven't forgotten, even through all the exiles. And it just so happens those were the only two mitzvot that they heard from Hashem. Wow. Like that having he, no other gods and not making idols. And that, that he's the god of the Yeah. It's really good. Okay, what I, what I was going to say actually was, they just think about it. I mean, let's say, let's just throw out, say nothing, never, nothing ever came of Yeshua or the apostles or even the prophets. If Moshe alone did what he did and was a servant, we have his words... That alone, there's no excuse to not heed Hashem's voice, and you know that that you know what I'm saying like that. He didn't need he didn't need to even send yeah I mean he didn't need to send the prophets that was out of his mercy. Um, was I was trying to be I was saying that because of something that was said before, but anyhow, it's. Man, we gotta listen to Moshe for sure. Going to the when it comes to the ignorance part, one thing I wanted to mention or quote you guys to think about was in Second Kifa. Um, Second Kifa. See here, where is it at? I just love how it says the voice of Hashem like purifies us. Give me one second. 
Like, that's amazing. Like, it's so deep, like his voice. Yeah, his Torah. Power of his voice. His word. And that's the very thing that's rejected. So, what is the motive behind rejecting your source of purity? Oh, because you, because you should, like, she says, they don't come into light in order for the, in order for their sins, their darkness is, their darkness, their sin to be revealed. Because that the shame and they, they have to deal with that cleansing, that pain that comes with cleansing and purification. Oh, because right? of the water and the fire. It's it, hot water. It's hot and it's uncomfortable and <laughs> if, you, if, you're, if you're repenting before, wow. public, before public, it's really humiliating. Wait, wait. So what we're doing at Sar Shalom, like people don't want to do it because it's uncomfortable and it hurts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about it's to drop too bright. Remember that. Like you said before in the past, it's too, it's too oh, much light. Oh, you about to drop some? Oh yeah. Oh snap! It's because I don't know. After after the IT just kind of dismantled everything about uh, the Mazalot and just all <laughs> that kind of stuff, <laughs> I kind of just I no no I just got really deep into this this month book man Gosh, can you show me this book man i gotta, I gotta <laughs> see it in my eyes i'm gonna get it this is all about the months it's all about the months i can't see you know that book you've seen that book before mm-hmm. you have one no. Hasis and uh Well does Hasis have this? Nice. Ooh. Yep. Come on. Okay. Okay. Uh. So it Cause we're we we're sitting here talking about Yeshua Yeshua and repentance and how the how the word of Hashem the Torah purifies us. Purify. Says, uh, you know, this is the uh, the, the Hazal spoke of Teshuvah as deep supernatural concept, talking about that it's one what? of the things that is, is a is a is a as a Hazal spoke of Teshuvah as a deep supernatural concept. Oh my goodness. It is one of the seven things that was created before the world. And they also spoke at length about the great power of Teshuvah, stating that it brings healing to the world, reaches the throne of glory, hastens the redemption, and lengthens a person's life. It hastens the redemption? Yes. Baha Torah notes that the Torah states, when you listen to the voice of Hashem, your God, to observe his commandments and his decrees, when you shall return to Hashem, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, the, implica- the implication of the verse is that Teshuva is equal to all other mitzvot in the Torah. <laughs> Come on, man. That, that's Baha Torah to, to Devarim 3010. 
So wait, what'd you drop from the the months book? That was it was in there. They're quoting Balhaturum in there? Yeah. Good night. What month is that associated with? That's a little. A little. Okay. So are you trying to say that Hashem? So I just kind of been on this whole tear about like, okay. So every time we get to we get to uh, a festival, we we got an essence of teshuva, right? But right. But the embodiment of teshuva is during the month of Elul. Right. So I'm thinking like, okay, so so in every throughout throughout the year, Hashem is giving us like. Like they talk, they talk about it in in here. It says this month is is where you find favor and love in the eyes of Hashem. It's like not to say that you can't find it outside of a little though, you know? Right. Like if, if one if one is sincerely trying to make the shuva, then it then it is accepted by by Hashemite. Um. So I don't know. I just I'm just like man, because it's like constantly what we have to do is just like constantly make the shuva, you know? Right. Like I gotta make the shuva from like five minutes ago. You know, type type. Yes. Thing. But uh, uh, and then and then just just the whole thing of Yeshua saying, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." You know. Oh wow! Because it hastens the redemption. Right. Right. It really does. I mean, and if you think about it, that is the message that every prophet spoke. That is the message that Noah spoke. That's the message that Methuselah spoke. Like. Like, if y'all don't repent, you know, the flood's coming, you know? Right. Which is the same thing in our day. We just know the flood's going to be the Torah. Right. Because, I mean, he said, never will I flood the earth again with water. But, you know, next time it'll be fire. So, in the Birkat Hamazon. It says, Hashem will give might to his people. So then it says that uh, Hashem, the word of Hashem was communicated to the Jewish people in all its strength. So even at the end of the Birkat Hamazon, where we're saying Hashem will give might to his people, we're talking about Hashem is going to give security or uh, purity to all his people. Okay. So, well, because I'm saying like the voice of Hashem, it's like the mouth of his might. So, like, in other words, he's going to give us his mouth. So, he desired for the sake of Israel's righteousness, i.e. their purity, their holiness, that he'd make, yeah, he'd make the Torah great and glorious among them because that will be giving strength and might to his people. The result of hearing my voice and having your impurity removed, you will desire to keep the Torah and be removed from sin. Yeah, I 
gonna read that whole chapter. Oh my goodness. The idolaters who were never cleansed of impurity stemming from Adam's sin craved the pleasures offered by the Yetzirah. Is that why they rejected Torah first? So the thing is, is we really got to hear his voice because if we're not hearing his voice, we're going to stay stuck in our sin and stuck in impurity and stuck in idolatry. And we can't simply think that we're hearing if not really. Uh, that's not, that's, and that's the other thing I keep thinking about because it's like, it's like you can't, we can't just sit here and be like, oh, you know, we follow tour now, you know, you know, we, we, uh. I mean, and granted, we are on the right path, but it's 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 much more than that. Like it's it's a uh, it's a we have to really really refine ourselves because I keep thinking about like we don't have a temple because of our sins. Right. Like, every year we go without a temple is because of our sins, and we can keep we can keep thinking it's not that, but Scripture says it's that. You know what I mean? Like we can't reconcile the fact that what the word of Hashem says that it's our sins. You know, Man. it's the same thing with the exile. We have to. Rec- I mean, we just have to recognize our sin. We have to, you know, and you can only really, you can only really recognize it if you read and study Scripture and know, and know it inside and out. You know, like you can't identify what sin is unless you know what sin is. You know, unless you don't know what the law is. Yeah, exactly. We don't, and people don't even know they're in exile because they don't know that there's a place called home, you know, called Jerusalem. They think this is home, you know, whatever. So all all these realities are definitely. If you're on tour, then you're you're definitely lost. You don't think? I mean, a lot of people don't think there's such thing as a sin. Even I mean, not a lot of people, but you know, atheists, agnostics, you know, some some agnostics. Sorry, I'm getting tired. They they uh. Don't even, don't even believe there's such thing as sin, and obviously then I definitely not think something is exile. So we got to be renewed <laughs> by we got to be renewed by the word for sure. But we can't be like part partly of those of Israel who are, are hearing but not understanding, you know, seeing but not really perceiving. Um, which really takes the ruach, like you know, causing us to be renewed in our minds and our hearts. And uh, giving us, you know, conviction within the heart and changing the motives and just Mashiach, you know, in us. Uh, can't it be some cultural thing we're doing or some hobby we're in to it oh, really man. has to be Hashem um, working that in us by his own power. Like, do y'all know what we're actually, okay, okay, so do y'all know what we say to the, to the, to the wise son? Who uh who asked the question at Pes- the Pesach Haggadah? No. Wait, say it again. What question we ask? No, the, no. Do you know? Do y'all know the response to the wise son's uh, question in the Pesach Haggadah? The response to the wise son. What is it? Oh, what what he say? What, what do you re- what do you respond? It's actually, it's actually different. Uh. So what we what we say what we say to the wise son. This is what we say to the wise son. Mm. This is this is Pesach Haggadah. One may not eat dessert after the final taste of the Pesach offering. That's what you're supposed to say to the wise son. But that's not what the Torah says that we're supposed to say to the wise son. What? Yeah. It actually says this. So 
testimony when the what the, the the wise son's question is this what are the testimonies and the decrees and the ordinance that Hashem our God commanded you? That's Devarim six twenty. Said, you shall tell your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and Hashem took us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Hashem placed signs and wonders, great and harmful, against Mitzrayim, against Pharaoh, and against his entire household before our eyes. And he took us out of there in order to bring us, to give us the land that he swore to our forefathers. Hashem commanded us to perform all these decrees, to fear Hashem, our God, for our good, all the days to give us life as this very day. And it will be merit for us if we are careful to perform this entire commandment before Ooh. Hashem our God as he commanded us. And so this talks about why 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 do we respond? Why is it not why is that not what we respond to the uh the wise son? And so why why do we say why do we how can we don't say that, but we say one may not eat dessert after the final taste of the Pesach offering? Why? Because we suggest that the response found in the Torah and that the Haggadah are actually one and the same. Ooh. True, the objective of the Pesach offering and the Afikomen is to bring us to love Hashem. By discussing and appreciating the miracles that he performed for us when he took us out of Mitzrayim and reinforcing our faith in him, our faith in him a person who finds a need to eat after the Pesach offering shows that he missed the point completely. Oh, Had he focused on the correct ideals, he would never consider delving into so mundane an act as eating after completing the lofty service of the Pesach offering. The, sac the sacred service of eating the Pesach offering would have given him supreme gratification, and he would not give it even a thought to what dessert was available to him. What? Oh. He would not even have had a thought about dessert? Yeah. Okay. It so the response, It says, the response found in the Haggadah is therefore the essence of the Pesach offering. A wholehearted love of Hashem and dedication to Him. As noted above, particularly in the light of Katav's first comment, the Torah's answer to the wise son is based on the principle that single-minded devotion to God is the key to observance of the commandments. Thus, the Torah says that the Jew has a strong desire to fulfill Hashem's will, to come to serve Hashem through love and devotion. Amen. In essence, this is the message of not eating after the Afikomen. Whoa! Okay, so I can't help but think about the Corinthians passage about Shaul telling them, that if they're hungry, they need to eat at home and quit abusing Hashem's table. Which is an altar. Because he's, ta he's talking about the Seder table. He's not talking about just any like food table. Right. So yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, and even going to the, the just... Keep going with the whole thing, cause isn't isn't Pesach or isn't Shabbat like Pesach, like the Shabbat Seder is the Pesach Seder essentially, right? Yep. In many regards, yeah. And, and some some of the some of them in Corinth were were overindulging in food and or in drink, and like they weren't all waiting together to partake at the same time, which is definitely not. Modest in any regard. Uh, like the Holocaust. 
Where did you read that from? Same book. Man, that book is dangerous, man. Which book? Yeah, it is. The Broken Tablets. Oh. I mean, it's like priorities and what, you know, it's like I got bigger fish to fry. I mean, and that analogy of, you know, you put the big rocks first and the medium size and the smaller ones, it's like if you already have the, <laughs> like that analogy. Yeah, if you already have the nice, if you already have Avi Coleman and Pesach Lamb, it's like, what in the world? What else would you want? Okay, so, tag... Unveil my eyes that I may behold beautiful and wondrous things from your Torah. It's from the Zohar. Saying that this is referring to the secrets of Torah. Mystical ideas buried beneath the Torah's exterior. The human mind cannot fathom these godly secrets. And our ability to relate to the Torah secrets or our inability to relate to the Torah secret is partially due to the limitations of intellect, but mainly due to the intrinsic subtlety of these concepts. The wonders elude us, not just because we're limited, but because they are God's inner thoughts. So your thoughts are higher than my thoughts and your ways are higher than my ways or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> wow. We have the mind of Mashiach renewed by, by the Ruach so, with the word being written on the heart and the mind. So we should we should know what God's mind is. We should know what God's thoughts are, which is Torah. If so, why does God, why does David ask God to unveil my eyes, implying that the only obstacle to seeing your wonders is David's short-sightedness. Surely a much more effective request to ask Hashem to show or reveal these wonders directly to us. Surely a more effective request would be to ask God to show or reveal. It would seem that since these wonders are beyond our intellectual reach, the only remedy is for God to miraculously demystify them. The vision of God or the vision God has for creation is the merging of heaven and earth. That godly truth evident in heaven becomes obvious in the physical realm. Wow. He wants the earth to ascend to heaven, absorb this truth on its own terms. The world must observe, absorb godly reality to the point where it becomes obvious and self-evident to us. The heavenly realm of Torah is its wondrous secrets, which God wants to introduce to us. God can suspend. Oh, I love this. God can suspend our limitations and inundate us with his wonders but we would not assimilate these ideas. They would not be ours. God desires for us to see deeper dimension of Torah with our own eyes. 
Uh, David's request, therefore, is that God unveil my eyes. We do not ask for the Torah's wonders to be conveyed to us miraculously. We ask Torah. How do you follow this thing here? Okay, so we ask to be able to absorb them with our eyes, with our distinctly human capabilities. And this is the whole reason why Mashiach departed from the places that wanted him to do miracles. And this is why Mashiach tells us to depart from him because we're all excited about miracles and prophesying in his name. And then on top of that, the people that he sent out, he said, don't rejoice about all these miracles and all the casting out of demons. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. So it's within our possibility for us to understand the depths of the Torah. But Hashem doesn't desire that we do it that way. He desires that we absorb it with our own eyes by submitting to him. I mean, I think that's, I think that's interesting because, you know, that really puts a bearing on how much influx of Mashiach Yeshua we have in our lives. Like we'll have more of him if there's less of us. So, I don't know about y'all, but I was thinking about how, you know, Shavuot originally was the giving of the Torah, and then Hashem came back with another layer that it's the giving of the Ruach HaKodesh, and now I feel like Hashem has come back with another layer, and it's talking about the receipt, the giving of Yeshua. You know, and how everything is about receiving the Messiah, Yeshua. Mm. And how we were talking about, you know, if people don't recognize your conversion and then you get upset about it, then your conversion becomes pointless. You know, because we're following Messiah, Yeshua. So to be swayed by any other, uh, any other circumstances 
by default disconnect us from him. And I just I just felt like tonight as we were going through Ruth and throughout the morning as we've just been kind of rediscovering sources that it's like a realignment with how attached to Mashiach Yeshua are we? Which attaching ourselves to him would attach us to Hashem because he's that manifestation of Hashem that was given in a finite form that would teach us and that would also crown us. And so therefore, if we're chasing after anything else, it's like taking off our crown and just throwing it away. So, like, for me, my Shavuot experience has definitely been just receiving him anew. You know, like, he is my Messiah. And sometimes that'll mean, like, people will look at you weird and people don't get it, you know. But the place we get to be is so beautiful. I keep thinking to myself, like, if people really knew this, like, would they really reject it? I think the thing is, is people just don't know or don't care to know or don't know that they need to know, you know? I mean, I I don't know, man. I'm just like... The stuff that has been laid down, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, are you kidding me? No, it was like, it was like that, the, how that lady was saying today earlier. I mean, I, I totally, I totally was like, I guess when early, early when, uh, when I first got in to actually keeping the myths vote, um, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, man, how come, how come they don't know? And how come, how come nobody's telling nobody? And how come, you know? Uh, you know, just a whole bunch of how comes, you know? Right. And it's like, it's like, well, I mean, cause seriously, like, I, I think it took me a really long time to realize, I mean, I, I mean, not that I didn't realize in the beginning, but just, I guess a more deeper appreciation of the fact that, and even, even now it's kind of, it's like, as, as we progress and what we're reading, what we're studying, what we're, what we're finding, it's like just the, the deep appreciation that that Hashem is revealing this to us and like, and not just, not just like little crumbs here and there, but just like in waves, you know, like each tour portion is a, is a wave of new and true information, you know? Wow. <laughs> Beautiful. And so with all this, what what we need to do is transform and repair the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally think like, you know, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to go out here and make converts and be like Abraham, who was the first convert. Right. You know, I often wonder what that must have been like. For Abraham? 
Yeah, I mean, like, who's going to really listen? Like, he's out in the middle of nowhere. Right, I know. And you know what's funny is that he, he would invite him to eat. Like, that's it. He's like, you you know, uh, I've heard, I've heard he even, he even told people, like, you don't have to participate in the blessings. You don't have to do anything. You just, just come and eat, you know? Afterwards, we'll bless God, but that's it, you know? Yeah. So, to go make converts, we got to go feed them. I mean, we just follow the pattern. I mean, I, I think that's what it is. We just gotta follow the pattern. Yeah. So I think about, I really think about all, all of the patriarchs like that. Even Yosef, you know, for that matter. Right. It's like, like you, there's, there's something to learn from from every every one of the the Abba, so to speak. Yeah, it's all in the food. Because how did Yosef set up the Egyptians? He yeah. circumcised them so that they can eat bread. Right. <laughs> Man. Well... Five fifty-eight. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Sunrise is six twenty-five. Someone quickly just about the the uh, you tell me, Matt was saying about the ignorance and how like we're so like you said media media is like yeah. A good good thing, a very good tool. I was using we're using it now, but at the same time, it's really we're bad. We're tacooning the media with what we're doing. There you go. Oh my! Bring Did in you Torah, hear that? Truth. What happened? He said, you know, with the media and all that kind of like I was talking, how that's driving the world and everything, and people are so ignorant and misinformed. Right. So I'm I'm saying like what we're doing at LP, we're tacooning media. Because they're using all these apps and using, you know, Mong and David. We got, and yeah. Anchor and... Instagram. This, this Facebook. Uh, what else? This, We're tycooning it. This video chat. So that that is pretty legit. Is that not crazy? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Dude, come on, man. Okay, but you're... But, but I was saying, but yeah, when it comes to, like, Christians and just... The truth, I mean, this hits home, and I, obviously, maybe you guys have already heard this, but Second Kepha 3, um, 3... Repeat it again. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. 3, 8, but my beloved ones, let not, my beloved ones, man, dude. Let not those, let not this one be hidden from you. That with with Adonai, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. If Adonai is not slow in regard to it, the to the promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards us, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to to repentance. 
But the day of Adonai shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass by with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with intense heat, and the earth and the works that are in it shall be laid bare. Seeing all these are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be set apart with a set-apart behavior and reverence, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Through Teshuvah! Through which the heavens shall be destroyed, being lit on fire, and the elements melt with intense heat. But according to the, his promise, we await for a renewed heavens and renewed earth, in which righteousness dwells. So then, beloved ones, looking forward Olam to this, do your, do, your, do your utmost to be found in him in shalom, spotless and blameless, yes. and reckon the patience of our master as deliverance, as also our beloved brother Shaul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, Ooh. as also in all, all letters, speaking in them concerning these matters in which some... Some who are hard to understand, which those who are untaught, I'd say in Torah, and unstable, I'd say in the faith, twist to their own destruction, Ooh. as they do also their, uh, as they do also the other scriptures. That is the Ketuvim or the Netavim. You then, beloved brothers, being forewarned, watch or guard, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness in your obedience in the covenant, being led away away uh, with the delusion of the lawless, the ones who are tor without Torah, led away from Hashem, led away from the covenant. But I grow in the favor and the knowledge of our Master and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, to Him be the esteem, both now and to the day that abides. Amen. Amen. Well, I think it's right. It's kind of funny because you talk about like the twisting of the scriptures, and yeah. and jokingly, Juan mentioned something like he. I know he was just he was being funny, and it was it was really really funny actually. But I'm like, man, that's kind of true though. Like the you know the, the sad thing is that somebody would really take that and run with it. You know, he basically said to me because we were talking about the four corners of the earth. And then he was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I didn't know, you know, that that meant, you know, like north, south, east and west. And like, you know, the people were going to be gathered in, you know, four corners of the earth. He's like, yeah, you know, it's cool. Hey, it's raining like, outside. Yeah, it oh, is. Brugishan. Oh, on Shavuot. Come on, brother. Oh, and, uh, and anyway, yeah, so he says, he says jokingly, he says, he says jokingly to me, he goes, oh, he goes, can. uh. Four corners of the earth. You mean to tell me the earth is flat, fam? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I laughed because it was funny, but I was like, man. Somebody really believes that. Take that and run with it, you know? Serious stuff, man. Serious stuff. Now, like, like scoffing spirit get to us or have discernment to know exactly, you know, like said, not. Not, what does it say? Untaught, untaught, and and uh, not being able to be easily twisted or unstable, 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 and untaught. Hey, did y'all did y'all happen to see Shonef Pinkus on Shavuot? No, I didn't see that. 
Dude, come on, man. Can I drop my Tehillit drop? The fact that it's yes. raining, man, is like huge. Okay. Yeah, right. This, this is, is this what I'm about to drop this right now. It says. You about to drop this. Drop this. <laughs> so, Sivan, according to this book, which I'm, I guess I'm starting to realize that there's a lot of sources that have the tribes and the names of Hashem and, and was associated with month and all that stuff is kind of, kind of, I don't, I don't want to say it's skewed, but it's, there's, it's, it's different for each, whatever source you kind of jump into is to kind of different, you know? Yep. This, this one, from what I'm learning, it, it follows B'nai Yisikar, which says uh, that, which is a source that talks about the months or Rosh Hodesh specifically. But it says that Sivan is actually the month of Zebulun. Ooh. And so it says that we must define the uniqueness of Zebulun and also gain clarity as why the festival of Shavuot is represented in Sivan and also why the precious stone of Yahal Alom was the only one that represents Zebulun in the Kohen Gadol's Hoshen Mishpat. Which that stone is actually diamond. Whoa. Um, so it says uh, that they, Zebulun, it goes on to say Zebulun was the only tribe entrusted with the Techelet. Like, like they complained in, the, in Judges, Zebulun, wow. or actually uh, they said about them in, in Judges, Zebulun is a tribe that risked its life to death. Ooh. And so did Naftali on the heights of the field. Shelf Team 518. Ooh. I think it's interesting because, like I said earlier, we read that Yeshua encamped in between both of these places. And really? Really? Yes. It says, <sighs> uh, so the one who is the guardian who will give his life. On the heights of the fields. Man, just. Oh, yeah. Get some help. But it's not, and then so it says, uh, it says, why, why, you know, according to the homiletical interpretation the, to which the tribe Zebulun risked his life, as it were, by processing that Hashem had treated it unfairly in dividing Eretz Israel among the tribes, Zebulun complained that it received mountainous regions, ocean fronts, and rivers, the sort of territory that made prosperity impossible because it was not suited for agriculture. By contrast, other tribes such as Naphtali received fertile fields and lush vineyards. Hashem answered by quoting the blessings Zebulun received from Moshe. By the riches of the sea, they will be nourished, and by the treasures concealed in the sand. Devarim 33.19 The sages interpret this to mean that all the other tribes will need Zebulun to, to provide the Tehelet die from the Chilazon, an amphibious creature that lives in the sea. What? Says, wait, wait, because Zevelin were the people on the ships. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, so it says, let us, it says, uh, let us seek to understand the deeper significance of Tehelet. Why must one of the Zitzit brands be Tehelet? Why? The teaches that Tehelet was chosen over all the other colors because it is a similar color to the ocean. And the ocean is similar to the color of the sky, and the sky is similar to the to the throne of glory. 
<laughs> Rashi adds that the sea is similar to sapphire, which is the color of the throne of glory. Consequently, Rashi explains that Tehillit on our garment serves as a reminder of Hashem who sits on the throne of glory. Mm. Says this passage begs an obvious question. If all four items listed in the Talmud, Tehillit, the ocean, the sky, and the throne of glory, are similar to each other, why doesn't the Talmud say directly that Tehillit is similar to the throne of glory? Why the need for three intermediate steps? The sea, the sky, and the sapphire. Mm -hmm. It goes on to say... Um, says, Hazal answered that since Zebulun traveled far from home to earn enough to provide support not only for his own families, but also for Yisikars, Zebulun deserved to be blessed first. Zohar adds that Zebulun would even take his own food and give it to Yisachar, he was willing to go hungry in order to able, enable Yisachar to learn. Oh my goodness. Zebulun's exalted devotion mm -hmm. to charity, his willingness to give his own food to Yisachar was obviously not an easy trait to come by. How can we reach Zebulun's level? We cannot decide one morning that we are willing to give up everything we own for someone else's sake. In order to emulate Zebulun, we must go step by step. First, we must learn to give a small amount of money to charity, then a little more, and a little more, until we are ready to move to the level at which we feel inclined to provide another individual with all his material needs, so that he can be free to study Torah. Finally, after conditioning ourselves to be more and more generous, we can reach a level which we would be willing to take on our own rations and give them to someone else. As Ramban writes, it is better to give many small contributions to charity than to give one large contribution to charity. By giving over and over, a person trains himself to be generous. It is in the oft-repeat maxim of Sefer Hinuk, a person is fashioned by his deeds. It says, we suggest that Hazal took us through the steps of Tehillit what? being similar to the water and the water to the, the sky yeah. and the sky to the sapphire and the throne of uh, glory to show us the spiritual progression cannot be made in giant steps. The road to the throne of glory cannot be traversed in one day. A person must take measured steps towards a shim, climbing the spiritual ladder slowly and methodically. What is it, Baha Akida writes that the Tehillit represents the middle path because the bluish hue of Tehillit is somewhere between white, which diffuses the vision, and black, which causes the vision to focus on a central point. The central pillar is the Tehillit. It's the throne of Hashem, which is the sky, which is the sea. Is that somebody's alarm? Yeah, I need to go grab it real quick, huh? The throne of Hashem, which is where the sapphire tablets are taken yeah, from. They're the central pillar. It's the same color as the sapphire tablets, so that's just reminding us of the mitzvot. Mm -hmm. Again. And in order to. Okay, so here, here was the beautiful drop that I was just like, man. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. So, in order to find that which produces the techelet, you have to go to the water. Ooh. Yes. Okay. Like Zebulun, it looks like it looks like you you're not gonna get like looks like the, the Hashem kind of left you without sustenance, you know? Mm. That's what it looks like. Mm -mm -mm. But but he did it. Zebulun, 
receive their sustenance from Yisikar. Because that's where they would get the Torah from. Right. So that was... Okay, so that's... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Alright, it says, Hazal also tells us that Hashem bent the lower skies and the upper skies and spread them on Mount Sinai Whoa. during Matan Torah. What? That's what it says. Upper Hazal and lower us, skies. This is from Melchita Parsha Yitro. Man. This is where they're, where, they're, where they're pulling this from. It says that Hashem bent the lower skies and the upper skies and spread them on Mount Sinai during Matan Torah. Perhaps wait, wait. This sounds like the two scrolls that Mashiach had at the Bema when he made Aliyah to read the Haftarah. Say what? The two scrolls, the upper and the lower skies. Remember we just did this last week? Where is my Bible? Just the first heavens and the second heavens? Where is your Bible? What? what? Is this the one the expanse of the heavens as, as, as Bereshit speaks about? It could be. You know how he separated the land? The firmaments. He the firmament, the firmament. Yeah, the firmaments from the, the waters. Okay. The... But hang on. He, he folded the scroll. Because remember that whole folded yeah, the scroll Luke thing? Yeah, Luke 4. Luke two, Luke four, three. Do you remember what? Uh, you think Luke four? Yeah. Luke four. Hang on, we gotta gotta get this real quick because this is crazy. Okay, four twenty. Okay, so check this out. So Hashem unfold or he he uh, what did it say? Hashem did what with the two skies? He bent the lower skies and the upper skies and spread them on Mount Sinai during Matan Torah. Spread them on Mount Sinai. Okay. And during the ceremony, he rolled up the Megillah, having given it back to the Shamash, and he sat down to teach. So go back a verse. You're the Lord's favor. Where was that? Is this the only verse that talks about this? Oh, and he closed the book. Well, it says, it says, uh, Shabbat is up to read. And the scroll that, obviously, the prophet was handed to him. Having unrolled the scroll, he found the place where it was written. Okay, never mind. I was trying to look for the correlate because the two the two scrolls that were folded together would be those upper and lower skies that were spread out on Mount well, Sinai I to think, give it. I, th if, uh, I think Rabbi was saying that the two scrolls that Yeshua was the second scroll. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I mentioned to him possibly that it was what he was, it was not I mean, he has the living Torah, but I I was telling him maybe possibly it was the fact that he's the king of Israel, so he has a copy on his arm anyway. And he was he he took that copy and he and he was comparing it with the one of the synagogue. So it should so it's, so it should double check that it's accurate on both ends. And so then he he re he folded both of them and sat down. Okay, so all right, so, okay, go for all it. Right. 
So he bent the lower skies and upper skies for the Mount Sinai during Matan Torah. Perhaps this combination of the bluer skies with the upper skies that are closest to the throne of glory was meant to serve as yet another reminder of the slow and steady progress needed to tra traverse the road to greatness. This is the concept illustrated by Tachelet, which comes from the portion of Zebulun. We must also add that this is the reason why we have not, uh, have, did not have Tachelet for centuries and why modern attempts to identify the the Chilazon has not gained full acceptance. Hazal tells us that the final redemption will happen little by little. Oh, Only my. when we master the art of taking those small steps toward the level of spirituality <sighs> that we will bring the final redemption and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash and will all Jews merit to have Tehillit. Wow. And it's, it, but, okay, so... So I was telling this to to uh, to Halel, and he was he was talking he was telling me he's like he's like he's like man that makes so much sense he's like he's like because if you look at the bottom of the sky and then you go up it gets darker and darker gradually he's like but is that why we why right now that there are two forms to Helen a light blue one and a dark blue one oh. Now, yeah, why is that? Isn't that, isn't that mean that one of the off one was not? no? It's the upper and lower skies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what that's. I mean, according, I mean, it was pretty. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. You know, that the fact that there's actually two different kinds of helots right now. But the, okay, the, but there's only one animal. Yeah, but the t there's only one you? firmament. There's only, there's only one. That's one true. Firmament. Good point. So the thing is, is all that which has been separated, we are slowly progressing to everything becoming echad. Yeah. To, despite the, the fact that, you know, Jews want to say, you know, oh, the redemption is going to happen, you know, all at once. And, you know, mm -hmm. it would be too much for us, you know. Wow. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think you could argue some good, some good arguments for the a different view on it. Why would you argue it? Well, I'm just, I, I, like, when it comes to Yeshua and his parables and the, um, within, well, within. I'm just saying, like, Yeshua came 2,000 years ago and, you know, the final redemption I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not saying that he's not fulfilling it. I'm just saying like we're still waiting for the final redemption, you know. I mean, so it is happening happening over a slow course of period. It's not gonna. It's not. It didn't happen in one fatal swoop. That's why he didn't finish the uh, the chapter in Isaiah. That's right. Like he he left off in a. It's a two step. It's a two step thing. It's a two step process. Oh Whoa. no! It is. It is a well. Yeah, it is a two step process. But what is it? What do you mean by exactly? Redemption. What is I mean? What is the definition of what you're saying? Because being made completely pure, the Yetzirah being banished, and us gathering in of the exiles, throne established on earth. Right, right. So is that? I mean, is he going to come speedily? Yeah, it's going to happen little by little. 
So one by little by little. Over time. That's what this is. This is it says the Hazal says this. Hazal tells us that the final redemption will happen little by little, and it's only when we master the art of taking those small steps towards the level of spirituality that will bring the final redemption. When Mashiach comes, it's pretty clear it's he's going to be like the rock in in the book of Daniel, where he's gonna it's gonna come, you know it's gonna it's gonna come with with like like you said he's gonna come quickly, you know from the clouds, with with all of Hashem's glory with the angels, and he's gonna, you know, set up his kingdom, he's gonna you know judge between the righteous and the wicked. And the resurrection is going to take place. I mean, it seems like it's pretty a fast, quick. Um, I mean, obviously you got the thousand years of transition. But when it comes to simply like his return, and when it comes to the wicked being punished and the righteous being resurrected, that's going to happen in a blink of an eye in the last. I trumpet. think they're talking about the culmination of all that happening. So like, yeah. This, but what we're doing is going to take. Oh, so prior to that. Yeah. Yes. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Like, okay. So now we have the clouds parting, and then we're waiting, and then. Mm-hmm. Oh look, there's Mashiach. You know, it's not. I, yeah. I, okay. So yeah. I guess. I guess I see where you got lost, but. Uh, I don't think that that's what that was saying, though. Like, I I was kind of seeing it like, the steps that we're taking right now, the steps that we're mm-hmm. we're doing right now, that slowly gradual. Uh, Built up to the throne of glory, basically. You know, if we if we're learning the the lesson behind the tachelit, is gonna is gonna bring us to the ultimate culmination of of redemption. Yeah. Well, one of the things they're gonna say is that when they lit the menorah, the menorah was lit in two stages, and then you think about on top of that, while the intermediate uh, time between the finishing out lighting the menorah that the Cohen is doing other acts of worship. So he'll start lighting the menorah and he'll do like two or three branches and then he'll leave, go do something else. And then he'll come back and, and light the rest of the menorah. And with that being said, each branch is one step at a time. So you didn't light the whole menorah at once. And neither did you finish lighting it all at once. Well, even 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 with the counting of the Omer, like we didn't count the Omer in one day, you know what I'm saying? Oh. It took us 49 days to count it. And the land wasn't conquered all at once. It took seven years, like seven mm. branches of the menorah. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of that stuff is... Right on. I, I'm primarily hitting on the, the, the view of of being like, you know, the days as as in the days of Noah, Noah, uh, Noah, so will be in, with the days of the son of man, you know. But even and, even even Noah, even Noah was was telling them for for years, and before that, his grand, his uh, his his father was telling them for everybody for years that, you know, repent, and it wasn't until. You know, they actually started flooding. And they were like, Noah, Noah, you know, let, let us on your heart. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm already on here. And it's already flooding, you know? No, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's mainly, mainly that last moment where the floods came and the and the waters rose, 
you know, and, and the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah, like suddenly fire, sulfur, brimstone came down and just and set them ablaze. But obviously before that, they had much time to to heed and repent and, and, and hear the voice of Hashem. And how did the first exodus happen? Little by little. The exodus? Yes, because the final oh. redemption is patterned after the exodus from Israel. Oh, the greatest exodus. The great, yeah. Because it's two exoduses, the one from Egypt and the one from the greater Egypt. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. From the nations. And so it happens little by little because the plague started and it was just like, listen to Hashem, listen to Hashem. No, okay. And yeah. ultimately, what does the redemption culminate in? The tabernacle, the temple. How long did it take from that to when they actually got the Mishkan? Right, wow. And we have well, seven. And it won't be it won't be the Mishkan, it'll actually be Hashem dwelling among us. Well I mean and, and the Mishkan, I guess. And the McDosh. Not it'll the Mishkan. Mishkan would be the no, tabernacle, sure. right? So it'd be the Ben yeah. it'd be the Ben and McDosh. Well, well, I'm just talking I'm just I'm just talking about how like, because they they even though that they, they erected the Mishkan, they were all, there was also a level of sadness because they realized that it wasn't it wasn't what was supposed to transpire. Right. Well, actually, what was supposed to transpire is 17th of Tammuz was supposed to be the beginning of gathering in those donations. And then Tishbaav would have been the assemblage because we talk about how the destruction of the temple was on Tishbaav. And then the yeah. destructions of the tablets was on the 17th of Tammuz. That's what that's when he would have came back with the sapphire tablets on the 17th of Tammuz. And had not the golden calf been built, right? Had not the golden calf been built on the 17th of Tammuz, they could have began building the Mishkan. Right. Hmm. Plus, point everything. Well, the, but yeah, the, the Shekinah glory fell, the cloud covered, you know, covered and filled the tabernacle, and then they weren't able to even enter because of that. Right? Wasn't there a time where we were, we were sad because we, we, bait, we, like, we you know, built the Mishkan, Mishkan, but then when the Shem came, we, we weren't even able to handle it. And we weren't able to enter in. Correct? Isn't, isn't that what the sages say? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. I think you're right on that. I think, yeah, I, I think, well, yeah, to go back, I think, you know, Yeshua was more on the, on the side of um, Jewish apocalypticism which is more of a of a as a worldview, a perspective of of a sudden um, a sudden coming of um you know of himself, I guess you know Mashiach, instead of like a gradual. Because they were saying like, you know, oh Yeshua warns us. He says, you know, some will say there he is out in the desert, you know. Building up a building up a, a an army, 
a revolt like other Jews had in the past and and how they're like gonna rise up in insurrection and then come with might and into the into Rome and, and ransacked everything and take over Jerusalem and, and set up the kingdom that way. The Messianic kingdom that way over you know, over David's throne. But he said, No, it's not like it's not the kingdom's not gonna come like that. They're asking him how the kingdom's gonna come and then he says, Don't look don't look into the inner courts and the inner rooms thinking that oh the Messiah will be in there. Because um, that happened too, where you know certain messianic fig, certain messianic figures would come into the, you know, be in the inner courts of the temple, obviously teaching like Yeshua himself did, um, and teaching, you know, as Messiah, and people would be like, yeah, he's probably the Messiah, and they would um, be meeting in the inner courts, and then from there they would, um, you know, try to start ransacking and cleansing out the temple, and trying to bring the kingdom that way. And he says, no, it's going to come, it's going to come like um, lightning from the east to the west with power from on high, you know, in a, in a fast rap, in a very, um, you know, quick moment. Does that make sense? Which is kind of offensive and not really politically correct nowadays and somewhat, it's, it, you got to have a lot of faith to believe that. It's easy, it's easy to believe in the strength of man than it is in the strength of God. You know, we like like so what, like what Israel. Don't you think the redemption happened like sunrise? Well, he said it. He said it happened like a like a thief in the night. He said it would happen like a, to like the those lightning. who are not preparing. Well, but yeah, well. The, because the coming of Mashiach would be because night to those who what, are what are we life. doing every year? If you look at the number nine, it talks about how we're going in this spiral and we're going upwards. Right, and we're repeating. And yeah. everything that we do each year gets us closer and closer to the redemption. And we're talking about making Teshuvah, hastening the coming of the redemption. Well, all of the steps that we're taking right now, we are bringing in the redemption. The more people convert, the more the Alam Haba is becoming a manifest reality. So when he finally shows up, we've already been experiencing that foretaste because we're already walking in eternity as far as some of the first fruits of what's going to be harvested in the coming time. So the redemption happening like sunrise being that we're already experiencing these things and other people are brought in to experience it. And what we're getting to experience every Shabbat, what we're getting to experience every time the believers get together, that's the sunrise that's happening. The redemption doesn't happen all at once in the instance of saying who is actually walking in the newness of life. Now, the resurrection and us being changed in our form and appearance, yeah, that's all going to be, you know, just like a light switch. But as far as people truly being delivered and rescued and saved and coming into the kingdom and walking in righteousness, purifying the earth, bringing in the covenant, like that's part of the redemption. Amen. Gathering yeah. in the exiles, that's happening right now. It's good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. It's good. That's happened. 
I mean, the whole, har the whole, the harvest is, is plentiful. The workers are few. So we're out here right now, like, there's, there's work right now that we're doing and we're going to continue to do. Lots of work. And good work, too. Pray for workers. There's gotta be a collective effort. That's right, man. All of us together. No, that's the only way to be, you know, to build the, um, the temple or the tabernacle. It was the only way, like all, all in unison, all giving our shares and our parts, and our portions. Akkad, Akkad, not being in disagreement, baseless hatred. I'm trying to find this source. I read it on uh, Safari at once, but it was talking about uh, how Hashem had to gradually reveal everything. And it started with like... Hey, just a, just a quick mini tag. So even having children is a, is a, can hasten the redemption too. Yes, because all the souls mm -hmm. have to be born. I read that in the, in the Tehillim. Are you trying to say something, Shlomo? That's good. Shlomo, is that, Shlomo, is that is the same? Is that in Psalms? I'll just, I'll just, <laughs> one, is that Talim 126? Talim, uh, what was it now? It's 126. It was, uh... In the, in the Songs of Ascent? 120, I think it was 127. 127, yeah. That was, uh... That was, yeah, that was from the Green Book. I was just thinking about redemption, like speeding up the redemption, brother. There's so many like little things that speed it up. Yep. Gotta yeah, add up. Man, I wish I could remember this. But then you think about how Hashem revealed all the Torah to the people. He gave them a few minutes both here, a few minutes both there. Then all of a sudden it was like, well, here's the whole Torah. Yeah, we can't we couldn't handle it all at one time, right? Yep. Tor or one thirty nine. Children of fruit of the womb, according to Rashi, children refers to the students he raises, who are like children to him. They are his reward for the fruit of Torah that is in his heart. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children born in one's youth. Just as a credit for the, for the kill is given to the hunter, not to the arrows, so too, when the children are righteous, the credit goes to the parents. They are called children of youth, since we are more 
we have more strength in our youth to educate our children to follow in the right path. Or the Derek Metzordot. Wow. It's huge. I'm not saying Shlomo where talks about the uh, the redemption though, but I'm looking here. Oh, let me find it. In the green book? Yeah. Okay, let me read it. Right here. I feel good. I'm just trying to find this thing. I can't remember the source for the. Another five hour thing that mixed in. Hmm? That, that five hour. What about it? Is it, did it go well? I mean, did it, like, it actually work? I don't know. I guess. I mean, I stayed it's awake. <laughs> There's a couple times I started to fade. Mm-hmm. You didn't slap me in or you didn't wake me up, though. I mean, get, I don't know if I was fully asleep. Starting, starting to get there. Uh, let me see if I found that. It's Psalm 128. That's what it is. Oh, Psalm 128. Psalm 
Wow, yeah, I don't, I don't see that, but. 128.6 on the, on, on the third paragraph, right before it talks about the convert. Oh, okay, yes, yes, okay. And may you see children born to your children, and may you see peace upon Israel. You will live long enough to see your grandchildren, see and to see the time when peace will come upon Israel. With the ingathering of the exiles, even if you do not live until then, your Creator will bring you back to life along with the righteous, who are destined to come back to life at that time. Yuma 5a, Redaka. Just as seeing the birth of grandchildren is a crowning achievement in life, so too, with our spiritual children, our students, the crowning achievement of teachers is to see the students educating students of their own. The Rabbi sees Sforno. The ultimate shalom will occur in the Messianic age, when the world will not only be free of war, but even of the animosity that leads to it. Rambam Halkot Malakim 12.5 One of the mitzvot that ushers in that time of the Messianic age is in fulfilling the mitzvot, the commandments to procreate. See Yavamot 62a Hence to our good deeds, and particularly the mitzvah of procreation, Especially when parents ensure that their children fulfill the mitzvahs, mitzvah, children born to your children, we bring about the coming of Mashiach, who is called Shalom, and will usher in the heir of the heir of Shalom. Wait, I thought I Super thought uh, Shalom was the name of Hashem. Ah, uh, nice, <laughs> wonderful con counselor. Prince of Shalom, Star Shalom, Everlasting Father. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Wow. Be davening for me, guys. I'm definitely seeking to marry and have children. Yay! It's definitely, definitely only, definitely the good. Can you? The only plan, so? only plan A. And there's no plan B for Shem. Better not be any plan That's B. That's Torah. We don't do plan B. There's no plan B. Plan B being the whole uh, Planned Parenthood thing. There's no, there's no plan B. Oh, is that what that is? Bro? That's yeah, Plan B. That's what that means. There's no such thing, though. It means abort. It means wickedness. It means... Yeah, it's it terrible. Means lack. It means... That's abomination. Yeah, it's, it's abomination. It means distrust. It means lack of muna. Lack of strength. Lack of hava. Lack of... All that. Well, it's not really a lack of so much as it is a revealing of. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, both. So check out. No, I just. Uh, not that we really need to go into this, but this is terrible. What is it?
Yeah, I don't think I want to read this. Let's just say it causes children not to be born. Yeah. What? Plan B. Oh. Yeah. Plan B is not God's plan. Plan B is your plan, which is a wicked plan. What? Wow. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Just hear what he said. What did he say? Plan B is not Hashem's plan. It's your plan. Oh, man. (laughs) Good night. We we can't lean on our understanding and everybody's leaning on our understanding to having kids and... Doing all this stuff that's not that's not true Torah. It's just it's not. the The way is is not easy, but we can't just be like, "Well, it's too hard, so I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna pursue it, or I'm gonna dim it down, water it down." And you guys, it's Shavuot. Come on! This is awesome. So, here's the other thing. I kept reading for some reason. Plan B throws off the Nidas process. Naturally. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. Which yep. is, this is, that's, you don't want to be, you don't want to be messing with that at all. Family purity, man. It's so That's high. like uh, changing the calendar. <laughs> it's like, no, Shabbat's on Wednesday. It's changing the calendar. Wow. Somebody told me that. They were like, yeah, Shabbat is like, it, it's going to be different this week or next week or something Say, like I, that. I had, a, I had a co-worker. He's like, he's like, you tell me how the Shabbats have to do with the the moon. Mm. And he was like, "Yeah, it's kind of hard because it's like falls on different days every week." I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> you've definitely dabbled into just falsehood. Just come back. <laughs> just come back. Just realize it's always on Shabbat. It's always a seventh day. No, I was, t- well, I was telling you on. I rap- I googled it because I was like, I was you know, I can't hear you." Oh, sorry. Do you hear this guy over here? Just starts playing all his loud music. No, I was, I was looking at my calendar because I, I took off the Yom Toes at my, my work. Email you gotta turn time. it down I emailed a, a long time ago. <laughs> but then... Background music. <laughs> oh, yeah, not... Not, not <laughs> foreground Not foreground music, <laughs> music man. What you eating over there, East Palo? No, you ain't there. I was eating some holla. Ooh, come on! Yeah, I still got some holla. I still got some Yeah, apparently, uh, we're gonna be having some pancakes over. No, snap. Yeah. Get you some. Right? 
I don't know when that's going to be considering I would love for it to be now, but <laughs> it's 6.48 a.m. <laughs> People are probably like, no, I'm not waking up right now. I don't know. I just, I love the whole progression drop and I just can't believe. What was it that, that Rabbi dropped earlier about 48? It was mentioned 48 times. And the, and not just that, but the Sabbath, oh. keeping of Shabbat, is mentioned 48 times. So he was, was the sages bring down that he values the convert as much as he values the Shabbat. Good night. No, he's so, but that correlates with how Shabbat is the is the pair twin of Hashem. So converts, Ooh. converts are considered as pretty much paired, like you know, paired up. Yeah, like, twins, equal, like like Abraham, him? like Abraham. Oh, because uh, he was he was accredited to being a chad because I am a chad. I'm gonna go save him because he is a chad. Yeah, there is no one like Abraham. There is one, no one like me. Man, well, yeah, like because yeah, twin, twin is like the well, same as because. I, I was just thinking because in that in that same in that se- okay the same book that I have in front of me here this uh, Hebrew months it says let me get let me get back to it because I was, was kind of close I knew I shouldn't have closed that I should have brought this up earlier. The growth, the growth of the mustard seed. Right. <sighs> Wait, what are you, you still looking for? This is, give up. You just Google Okay, it? so this is what it says. It says, the correlation between Zebulun and Sivan, the month in which we received the Torah, the Torah cannot be acquired overnight. Hazal lists 48 steps necessary for acquiring the Torah. No! Stop it! Yes. It's 48 steps to acquire the Torah. Where does he get that from? Why not 49? You think that'd be- this is our vote. This is from our vote six. So I'm gonna read it to you guys. Okay. I have I have our vote right here in front of me. Keep going. Okay. It says great is Torah surpassing even priest. This is so. This is our vote six six. Mm. Great is Torah surpassing even priesthood and royalty. For royalty is required with 30 distinctions, and the priesthood with 24, whereas the Torah is acquired with 48 qualities. They are the following. With constant study, with attentive listening, with verbal enunciation, with the perception of heart. Uh Can't turn the page. 
fear, with humility, with joy, with purity, with ministering to sages, with the bonding of friends, with sharp discussions with students, with calmness, with knowledge of scripture, with knowledge of Mishnah, with minimized business activity, with mm. minimized worldly activity, Ooh. with minimized pleasure, with minimized sleep, with minimized <gasps> conversation, with minimized laughter, with slowness to anger, with a good heart, with faith in the sages, and with acceptance of suffering. Whoa. He who knows his place is happy with his lot, makes offense around his words, and claims no credit for his achievements. Man. That was 25, I think, I counted in my hands. Oh, hold on. Uh, oh, okay, there, it keeps going. He is loved, loves God, loves people, loves the way of righteousness, loves justice, loves reproof, keeps far from honor, does not act arrogantly with with his knowledge, does not take pleasure in handing down halakhic decisions, bears a burden with his friends, judges him favorably, places him in the path of truth, and places him in the path of peace. He who deliberates in his study asks and responds, listens and adds. He, he who learns in order to teach, learns in order to practice, increases the wisdom of his teacher, properly understands what he learns, and relates a statement in the name of the one who said it. Indeed, you have learned. Whoever relates a statement in the name of one who said it brings redemption to the world as it says. Esther 2.22 And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. Really? <laughs> Really? I counted them all, yep. At least I, I could be off by one or two, but that's about right. And what is four plus eight? It's twelve. <sighs> like the tribes. Like the tribes? Because like you only receive the covenant if you're in a tribe. The tribe. Beautiful time, and it's raining. And it's raining. Let me just read something now. Since it's raining, <laughs> okay. This is all right. Y'all ready for this? Yeah. Some of these qualities will acquire some of the Torah. Ooh. And just as study of Torah has no end, so there is no end to improving oneself in the qualities through which Torah is required. Man. Corresponding to these 48 qualities, the amount of lines on a Torah scroll should not be less than 48. Furthermore, the Hebrew word for 48, memchet, spells the word moach which is where the Torah, the wisdom of Torah resides. And then it says, 
The crowns of priesthood, royalty, and Torah are represented in the holy temple by the inner altar, which is priesthood, the table, royalty, and the art, Torah, each of which had a crown. The inner altar was one cubit in length, breadth, and height. Its circumference was four cubits, which equals 24 tepachim, corresponding to the 24 distinction of priesthood. The table was one and a half cubits, two cubits in length, and one cubit in breadth. Its shortest circumference was thus five cubits, or 30 tefachim, corresponding to the 30 distinctions of royalty. The ark was two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. Its shortest circumference was eight cubits, or 48 tefachim corresponding to the 48 qualities required to attain Torah. Yeah, so the picture so here's... If all, that, if all that is true, to even acquire the Torah, you have to go through a conversion. Really? You're just going to drop that on us, huh? Well, I mean, if the Torah specifically mentions about the convert 48 times, I mean, what is what is it really telling us? If you want to acquire the Torah, you have oh. to It's also telling us we have to grab a hold of the Ark. Yeah. And we all got to be converts, but at the same time, it's like you're saying, because he mentions converts 48 times, and the qualities of being able to master... Be mastered by Torah is forty-eight characteristics. Therefore, uh, you need to convert. <laughs> is that your saying? I mean, if you, th if you think about it, the counting of the Omer is in a sense a refinement of ourselves to to convert and receive the Torah. I mean, that's oh, what, it definitely that was is. the whole thing. That was the whole thing about them. You know, the three days out before before uh, Shavuot was. You know, they went to the mikvah, they washed even their clothes, and they received the Torah. Yeah. You know? Well, that was like an intensified of the 49 days, which we've done, which is, which is, uh... Well, here, here's my thing. We're talking about 48. 48, what's, what is that last day? Well, the last day is 49, which is Mentech. The last step is Yeshua. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What do y'all think? You know, is that is that kind of just a little? What do you mean? I was saying about it too. I was like, why forty eight? It's one minus forty nine. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's how I'm trying to reconcile it. I'm like, okay, so forty eight is met right? or met koach. Yeah, it's mem chet, which is mem oach, which spells the word for brain. So this something we have to like internally, you know, acquire the wisdom of the Torah. But I mean, the the, the 49th step, the malchut sheme malchut, is Yeshua. That's the last week, the last day. That was the last. That was that was the sefriya for uh, the last day. Oh, well, technically, it would probably qualify for every single day. 
Yeah. Well, you see our, you see the video. See, see the window. Oh, hang on. No, my boy, I see it. I see. It. You see me, I guess. I yeah, so what, what that looks like right there is what it's been sounding like. <laughs> yep. As you're dropping these bones. Here it is right here. Give all your what happens and let me speak. Oh, here with the back. Really? In my mouth. That's what background is when right there. When my instruction fall is the rain. And my speech drop down is the dew. <laughs> It's fine rain and He's doing Hazidi well as Hazidi doing outside. He's showering the grass. Probably <laughs> proclaim the name of it and I. It's great great news to our God. Come on, guys. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Maybe we'll get more tourists ready and we'll be, it won't be crochet or uh, it won't be uh, Croquet? What's the name of the sport? Croquet? Croquet. Alright, tag. Megillah 3A. Oh, no. Megillah 3A. Yeah, we're gonna go to pouring. While it's pouring outside. Now, that was a stretch. Anyway, uh, the Gemara asks, was the translation of the tour really composed by Ankylos, the convert? Did Rav Ika Bar Avin say Rav Hananel said that Rav said? See, they're bringing redemption to the world. Yeah, man. They're respecting those who <laughs> deserve respect, honoring those who are to be honored. That's crazy. They love him. Right? Okay. What is the meaning of that which is written in respect to the days of Ezra? And they read in the book. The Torah of God distinctly, and they gave the sense, and they caused them to understand the reading. Nehemiah 8.8. 8. The verse should be understood as follows. And they read in the book, the Torah of God. This is the scriptural text. Distinctly, this is the translation, indicating they immediately translated the text into Aramaic as was customary during public Torah readings. So then, it's like doing all this stuff, and they go into talking about the letters. Where did they do that? Is that the rain over there? Oh yeah, you hear that? Dude. It's, it said like the letters existed before they were given. So I'm just trying to find that out. The letters existed before they were given? Well, yes. Yeah, for sure. How do you mean? Like, like about the, the Hebrew alphabet? Here we go. Okay. Megillah 3a still. It says... The Gemara answers two forms of these letters did exist at that time, but the people did not know which one of them was to be used in the middle of the word, which uh, at the end of the 
Okay, didn't know which was to be used in the middle and which was to be used at the end. And the seers came and established that the open forms are used in the middle of a word and the close are at the end. So they're talking about the mem and the summit in the sapphire tablets given at Har Sinai. That they, oh, the ones that floated. They, yeah, they floated by a miracle. So, what are they, are they saying, like, well, I'm just, they're bringing down that the, the prophets were the ones who came and established that the open forms are to be used in the middle of a word and the closed forms are to be used at the end. Yeah. Ah. That's interesting. I never heard that before. Yeah, because it's all about, like, the prophets, like, giving the distinctions. The Aramaic translation of the Torah, which is the Targum, used in synagogues, was composed by Antelos the convert, based on the teachings of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yehoshua. Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi who? Yehoshua. Yehoshua, okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So the prophets were composed by the Aramaic translation of the prophets were composed by Yonatan ben Uziel, which is the Targum Yonatan. Based on a tradition going back to the last prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The Gemara relates that when Yonatan ben Uziel, Targum Yonatan, wrote his translation, Eretz Yisrael quaked over an area of 400 parsangs. And then it says, oh, by 400 parsangs. And a divine voice emerged and said, Who is this that has revealed my secrets to mankind? Yonatan Benaziel stood up on his feet and said, I am the one who has revealed your secrets to mankind. Through my translation, however, it is revealed and known to you that I did this not for my honor and not for the honor of my house of my father, but rather it was for your honor that I did this so that discord not increase among the Jewish people. So the whole thing about how we need to have a pure motive and receiving the Torah and like everything that we're doing should be for the sake of Hashem. Oh, okay. So I was wanting to read uh, 
Show enough pinkest earlier. Because it says, according to Hidushe Agadot, Agadot, the Torah Moshe. Yeah, I sent it to you earlier this week. What? What? I've been busy, man. I'm gonna resend it. What would you say? It's still just porn. Yeah. Porn. Yes. Hush my game is suffering. The heavens declare. Okay, so it says that in the Chasm Sofer, the Malachim never intended to receive the Torah in the format revealed to us. Because they were arguing with Moshe about receiving the Torah. And it's just like, well, you don't, you don't, this, this Torah is not going to benefit you. And it's just like, well, we don't want that Torah. We want the primordial Torah. Not the one that you're going to receive. And then it says that they wanted to receive the Torah in a more mystical and spiritual form. Combinations of letters as they appear above in the heavens. Hence, they referred to the Torah as a coveted treasure. They were referring to the spiritual hidden form of the Torah stored in the heavenly realms. This prompted their claim, bestow your glory upon the heavens. As spiritual creatures, they are better suited to fathom the meanings of this mystical form of the Torah, the splendor and glory of the Torah. Page two. Yeah, right, Colin. So I'm about to go to page three, left column. Uh, right after the Ivrit paragraph, it says, It is known that the Torah encompasses four aspects Pashat, Remez, Drush, and Sod. Nahakadosh Baruch's Torah was only sowed. Oh, it was a spiritual black fire inscribed on white fire. Nevertheless, he wished to give the Torah to material, physical human beings. Hence, it was necessary for the format or to format it in such a way that they would be able to receive it and comprehend it. Therefore, he reviewed it over until it was reduced to the aspect of Peshat. So he's bringing down that the only reason there are four levels of Torah is because Hashem reviewed the Torah four times, distilling it down till it came, till it became Peshat. Yeah. And then there's a part in here where he starts relating that to the or law. Well, technically, technically it's just three. Because the well, kind of, because the because the Deuteronomy is retelling, right? And was it in the Pesach land was was uh, supposed to be checked and inspected in three days? Literally, is 
Mishnah HaTorah. Right. Yeah, it's really telling, right? Yeah. Okay, so it, it says it? on page four, it says, Peshat Remez Drush without sowed, it shall be Orla for you. So here's your three. So it says, continuing our journey on this sublime majestic path, let us now explain the matter of Moshe Rabbeinu generously bequeathing the gift of Pupul, which is interpreting the Torah and all its insights to Yisrael. The Sefer Butzina De Nehora Kedoshin brings down a fascinating idea that the name of the great Rabbi Baruch of Metz Medzibi, according to the illusion of Pesukim Vayikra 19.23, when you shall come into the land and you shall plant any food tree, you shall treat its fruit as Orla for three years. It shall be Orla to you. They shall not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit shall be sanctified, lauding to Hashem. The illusion is based on the well-known concept that there are four methods of Torah, exegesis, referred to by the acronym of Pardes, and Shar Hagilgulim, Introduction 16, the Arizal explains, a person is obligated to engage in all four levels of Torah study, represented by the term Pardes. He breaks all those down. And then he says, anyone who engages in only the first three of these mythologies, namely Prashat, Rumez, and Drosh, falls into the category of spiritually unfit. For without the Torah of Sod, it is impossible to study the Torah for its own sake. So, this then is the interpretation of the passage of the word Shanayim is interpreted as learning or reviewing so that the Pasuk informs us that if a person merely employs the first three, its fruit is not permissible for consumption. If the person is meritorious and employs the fourth method, namely the Torah of Sod, its fruit shall be sanctified as a tribute to Hashem. So it should now be quite clear why Moshe Rabbeinu bequeathed the gift of Torah Hanistar, the hidden Torah to Israel, as is stated without the fourth mythology related to Torah Hanistar. The other three aspects of Torah study, Peshat, Remez, and Drash are described, or are described as they are unfit for consumption. Hence, to receive the Torah fully requires receiving the hidden Torah. Only then can a person study the Torah for its own sake. Wow. So what does it mean? I mean, like, Rabbi hit that pretty hard in the head. That was really good. Like, we don't, we don't, obviously, we don't study Torah in order to be rich and blessed. We don't study Torah in order to impress how much we know we aren't just or tor you know study Torah for the sake of finding a Jewish wife whatever it be we're not going to be studying Torah for 
um, any other thing besides the sake of Hashem, the sake right. of Torah, right? That's right. Pure motives and pure motives. But what does he mean, like, for the sake of its? I understand for the sake of Hashem, but like, the sake of itself, like, you're personifying that that was the Torah is. Is Hashem? Lishma is. I'm bringing out the aspects of rabbinic theology. <laughs> well, I got, I got that too. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Oh, yeah. wow. No, you didn't. I don't have Smart. a rabbi. What? No, I don't. Uh, I'm surprised. I am surprised you don't have one. I, I used to, but I had to give it away because I get in too much trouble with that thing. Uh, and that's dangerous. Hang on, I got a bunch of bookmarks over here, and you would think one of them would be it. What are you, what are you looking for? Torah Lishma. And I feel like it's under a section called Pure Torah. I've had this book. Oh, oh, here it is. Page 159. Oh, this is about to be great. Okay. Let me know when you're ready. I think, yeah, let's go. All right. Let it be let's acceptable go. upon your altar. Okay, so it says, but only one who has seen the deep despair reflected on the faces of the worshipers as they repeat the first stanzas bewailing the loss of sacrifices as a means of atonement and the sudden transition to the highest degree of joy and cheerfulness at the thought expressed in the last stanzas that it is neither burnt offering nor meat offering, which God requires. So it's important to stop right there because it's saying they're mourning the loss of the sacrifices, but the culmination of this song is about it's not the offerings that Hashem requires. But I'm mourning the loss of the sacrifices. Right, right. Okay? So then it says, but that the heart is the real altar and the service of the heart is the real sacrifice. Only one who has witnessed such a prayer meeting will be able to conceive how little the capacity of the rabbi to pray and to rejoice in prayer was affected by the rubrics 
and how superficial is the common conception of onlookers to the subject. Okay, so that's the preface. So you got to understand that Torah Lishma is founded off of there's this yeah it's the service of the heart and the mix of things that were what is how do you say service of the heart uh something I forget the last one. Well, I know it's Avoda something. Avoda, yeah. But it's like in the mix of all of our obligation, all of the commandments, all of whatever, all of whatever is required, it's that, but it's your heart behind it. And it's like, mm. even though it's all of those things, it's really not any of those things. It's really Hashem. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just like, what did he say do? It's why, the why, guy. And then I'm bringing this back to the whole concept of Abraham sacrificing Yitzhak. Abraham was grateful to sacrifice Yitzhak because Hashem commanded it. Mm-hmm. And then Abraham was grateful to not sacrifice Yitzhak because Hashem commanded it. Such a Torah Lishma. It's, mm-hmm. it's beyond your obligations. It's beyond your heart. So Are you saying it's by the spirit, like you're saying it's like a, by the spirit. The law, the law of the spirit. It's a, it's all about like attaching and connecting yourself, basically. Like Nasevinishma, whatever he says, we will do. Yep. So then it says in the preceding remarks, mm-hmm. next paragraph, Shlomo. I got it. I'm we, right. We had a reference to the saying of Rob Zadok, Zadok Zadik, the righteous one. Prohibiting the making of the Torah a means of aggrandizing oneself. And another saying of Hillel to the same effect. The saying in question closes with the words, Lo, whosoever makes a profit from the words of Torah removes his life from the world. Man. This brings us to the subject of Lishma playing a very prominent part in rabbinic literature. By Lishma is understood the performance of the law for its own sake, or rather, for the sake of him who commanded it, excluding all worldly intentions. So thus, with regard to the sacrifices the words of Ayikra 1 9, Reach Nikoak Likoak, or Sliga, Reach Nikoak La Adonai, are meant to explain that the sacrifice must be brought with no other intention but that of pleasing Him who created the world. So it's all about like getting engaged and getting involved in Torah for the sake of Hashem, like for His pleasure. Like everything we do should be to please him, as opposed to fulfill. Because we fulfill in on the sources on this are ten sources on this day. Right. All that comes should come out of love. Yep. And for desire for him. And for Hashem to desire, or for Hashem to derive pleasure from what we do. Right. That's yeah. Lishma. And then the word uh, wow. for the pleasing aroma, 
the Nikoak or Rayak um, is all about our Teshuvah. So when Hashem smells the aroma of the sacrifices, he smells our Teshuvah. Which remember Mashiach judges by smell. Right, right. So everything we do should cause should be for pleasing Hashem. I feel like I've heard that somewhere. Man, this is crazy that it's like raining so hard out there. That person is going really fast. Really? Okay, so like one of my favorite verses of all times. Romans 12, 1. Talks about us offering ourselves as living Corbin Like the second. That's, that's, that's a good verse, actually. And then it says... Living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Yeah. Oh, Ephesians 5, 8 and 10, it says... Trying to learn what is pleasing to Hashem. For you were formerly walking in darkness, now you're walking in light. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Second Corinthians 5 9. Therefore, we also have our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Adonai. Galatians 6, 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from his own corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will give him ah. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Oh, yes. Sham. Sowing the spirit which finds the torrent. So yeah, it's definitely not by my, not by power, but by my spirit. Oh, Colossians 1.10. This is all Paul. This is hilarious. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of Adonai to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge, which would be Torah of Hashem. I think so. First Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in Adonai Yeshua that 
as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please Hashem, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. Actually, though, too, it says, uh, yeah, because a couple weeks ago, actually last week, Tehillim was, um, what was it? What was it Tehillim last week? It was about Abraham. It was the psalm about Abraham. Uh, basically saying that, that the beauty of Abraham was that, oh, oh the, the psalm that says, uh, hallelujah, praise, praise worthy is a man who fears Hashem and who intensely desires his mitzvah. Mm. It says that, uh, that that psalm specifically is about Abraham. And it was saying that that even though you can't do a mitzvah, there's a mitzvah you can't do. You have to like pray to the Shem that you can either have the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah, or you can uh, just still still wanting to fulfill the mitzvah is, is as apt, like it's still meritorious, like because you immensely desire it. You know, wow. and the fact that yeah, and the fact that. Um, that you should desire it, and it's not not because of the reward. Like you should just want to do the mitzvah. Like even even if your motive was the reward, and and then later down the line you find out like oh you didn't get a reward for it, but then like you don't regret it. You still it's still meritorious. But if you say same same instance and you say uh, I didn't get the reward for it. Oh well, man, I shouldn't have did that mitzvah. You just you've just like missed the whole point of of design, Lishma. Oh, Lishma. Lishma. So if you're following Torah Lishma, you would be praying to Hashem for the opportunity to do a mitzvah. That's intense. Like to pray for being able to do a mitzvah. You know, like. But even the whole idea, even the whole idea is like, if you can't even do it, you can still desire it. You know. Right. The body's weak, but the flesh is willing. If we're just that way. Or the spirit is willing. one hour? Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go back to Lishma here because. It's funny, it's in the aspects of rabbinic theology that just brought up that psalm, Psalm 112. It did. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Psalm 112 or uh, aspects of rabbinic theology brought up Psalm 112? That was that was the psalm I was just talking about. I just glanced down right now and it's in here, Psalm 112. That, that was the psalm. <laughs> wow. Okay, so... The service of God. So this is picking up like five lines down. The service of God should be as single-minded as he is single in the world. To whom this service is directed. It is pleasing unto me to know that I command and my will was done. With reference to other laws, the injunction is do the things of the Torah for the sake of him who commanded them. And speak in them for their own sake. Indeed, 
The Torah is only pure when a man cleanses himself from all sin. Which, remember, the cleansing and the purification comes from hearing the voice of Hashem. So then it says, so that he must not expect of mankind to serve him or maintain him because he is a scholar. Which I find very interesting that he already shoots down the whole idea of paying someone to study Torah and cause them to not have any responsibility. He says that uh, indeed the tours. Or at least it has to have a pure motive behind it. Yeah. Right. Nay, it is only the occupation with Torah for its own sake, which is life. So Yeshua is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm only life if you'll be occupied with me for its own sake. Then it says, but if you have not performed the words of Torah in this manner, they kill you. Wow. It is just this purity of motive which forms the main difference between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serves God and him that serves him not. Malachi 3, 18. The same thing applies to other laws. Two men feasted upon their Pesach lamb. The one ate it for the sake of the mitzvah. The other devoured it in the manner of a glutton. Well, here it is again, being gluttonous at Hashem's table. And I love that... Uh, that insight that Mighty Haver and Amazing Chazan brought down about the Zizi being too long, no matter how long it is. Right. Yeah, not like literally, but like spiritually. Right. Yeah. So. Man, I am so hungry right now. Oh my gosh. You gonna stay on or are you gonna you all right? I'm good. Uh I think I'm about to do the same thing actually. Okay. It was an honor and a privilege to study yeah. with you. He's still there. Oh. He's, He's gonna get some serious. Oh you're yeah, gonna get some okay. I ain't going nowhere. What are awesome. you talking about? I think meant like gonna go and, and go f go get food and then leave. I wasn't sure what you were doing. Uh, okay. I, th I think that beach is both back up too though. I saw him. I 
I thought he woke up when all the rest of them woke up. So, Shlomo. Hey, do you normally go to your occupation, Shlomo, on Yom Roshan's? to try and, and fight and then maybe lose compared to not fighting at all. Yes, you are correct, my friend. Hasid! Booker yes, Tov! Booker Tov! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, what... Sorheim special. He's pretty good. He seems to have some good things. Wish they were brought down yet yesterday. He gives. He gives the. Breaking Aramaic and the Hebrew, right? What is this? No, he breaks down the Hebrew. Oh, he's just breaking it down. Okay. Nice. And then he'll say, like, this seems difficult. 
So what does this mean? Mm. Okay. This is the best. First minute, I was thinking you had another. Targum. Was it the Targum that you were looking at before? No, 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 here, just now. I mean, now, now, but you're reading. You're reading. The Humash? Yesro. Was it, was, it, was it the Humash you were reading Yesro from? Oh, I was reading Yitro from there. Okay, you were. Okay. Is he awake? Hey! What you doing? Hog Shav Shavuot. Samak. You should, you should check out um, Or Hakim Shemot 15 verse 2. The might and the vengeance. And the might and the vengeance of God was salvation for me. This is my God, and I will build him a sanctuary. That one right there. The God of my father, and I will exalt him. Prior to being the God of the people who crossed the sea, Hashem was the God of their forefathers. Why did the Jews arrange the song of the sea in the reverse? Speaking of Hashem first as their God and only afterward as the God of their fathers. Orheim explains that the verse follows a specific sequence. A sequence one should follow when standing before Hashem to sing to him, praise him, or pray before him. It is to begin with the concept that the person himself understands about Hashem and to then continue with the concept his father understood about Hashem, which his father transmitted to him. Indeed, we find that when the sages of the Nishia Nesis Hagidola, the Great Assembly, mm. composed the text of the Shimon Esrei, they instituted that when we recite the blessings of Vos, the fathers, uh, we first describe Hashem as our God, mm. and then as the God of our forefathers. Oh! Eloheinu, Elohei, Elohei, Our God, the God of our forefathers. Yeah, Yaakov. 
In order that the song of the sea should follow this sequence, the children of Israel arranged the song to begin with the kindness they themselves received, the goodness of Hashem. And therefore they said, The might and the vengeance of God was salvation for me. This refers to the kindness Hashem performed with them, to save them from the suffering they were experiencing even before the end of the Egyptian exile had arrived. Hashem did this on account of his compassion for the children of Israel, as I have written at length concerning the topic in Parashash, Parashash Shemos and Parashash Verhaya. Since they experienced this kindness on account of their own relationship with Hashem, they completed the stanza by first ch chanting, This is my God only afterward describing Hashem as the God of my Father. Who are you just reading? Oh, he was asking me to read a little bit from uh, Parshas Bishlach. I was looking at, um, this is my God and I shall exalt him. So, in the Humash. In the Talmud, or? No, no from the Parsha. Oh. So it says, this, this is my God. So clear was the manifestation of godliness to them that every Jew, even the humblest, could literally point with his finger and say, this is my God. Or Hakaim derives from the sequence of the verse that first a Jew should develop faith in God from his personal experiences. My God who saved me. And then relate. Yeah, and then relate it to his legacy of faith from my father. The same sequence is found in the beginning of the Shemone Esrei. Eloheinu Velohei Avoteinu. Right? So then it says the, the same sequence is found there. Uh, we describe Hashem first as our God, then the God of our forefathers. Ramban with Anun. He says, notes that this verse uses the abbreviated form of the tetragrammaton, the yod and hey with the vav and hey. It says that it only uses the yod hey. And the next verse uses the full name. The shorter form sometimes indicates that the full degree of Hashem's greatness has been hidden from the world due to a man's shortcomings. Thus, Yisrael was declaring that they would strive to honor and elevate man's perception of God. So, so that he might be recognized in his full glory as Hashem's master of war. So's kindness. So's kindness. Salvation is flourish. Mm-hmm. What's so beautiful is that what they're saying was 
First it's the it's the God who brought us up out of Egypt, and then it's the God of our forefathers. It's like the aspect of just redemptive history, how first is mercy, he calls us, and then we choose. Like it's just like you know the, the one who loves mo most is the one who knows he's forgiven much. The one who so, loves much is for, is the one who's forgiven much. So <clears throat> Amet. Yes. You just read, or the commentary you just read, talking about the 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 yod and the hay. Yep. Uh, being a lesser, would, would you say, a, or not le not lesser, but a uh, no. The uh, shorter form sometimes indicate short, the full okay, shorter short form. Right? The full degree of his greatness. Because because man has fallen short, right? Right. So you have Yeshua Hamashiach coming. In the form of a pauper on a donkey, because why? Because Israel did not merit him in his mm -hmm. fullness. Oh my word! Enough. They didn't merit him in his fullness, so he had to come in part. Yeah, which shows his greatness, and it's hidden from the world due to man's shortcoming. But this is how we cause ourselves to strive to honor and elevate man's perception of God. So that he can be recognized in his full glory. So right now with Mashiach Yeshua, because Yod and Hey Yeshua HaMashiach being sown and hidden, and as we strive to, what, what verse are you in? Uh, this is fifteen two. Fifteen two. So as we go through this, if we're striving to honor and elevate man's perception of God, this is to the end that he will be recognized in his full glory. The rest of Hashem's name is going to grow out of what's currently concealed. Because we're striving to elevate, we're striving to make him known. Too much. But, but I'm saying like what? Is it Shemot? Mm. Where, where you at? Shemot. Parsha Beshalot. Shemot Parsha. Oh, be, okay. I'm sorry. I thought I heard something else. Beshalot. Okay. Check this out. This is, this is by, uh, this, this, this song is a Shavuot song by, let's see, another song for the Jewish holiday series by the Yon Orchestra. It's a Jewish orchestra. The song is written by Ellie Flum about the holiday. Okay. Anyway, it's a Jewish song. Look, look at the look at the pictures they have. Look at this. He is my God, and I. <laughs> it's right there. The figure right there on the mountain. It's kind of fun. A shadow of things to come. Yeah. I can point to him and say, this is my God, you know. Oh, uh, you're at the Song of the Sea, is that where you're at? Yes. Boy, what is wrong? I'm just calling it how man, I see it. Man, I will never get tired of this. So it's a 13, was it 13A drop about the, uh, the angel that, 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 uh, sustained the children in the womb and then they saw... 
the formation of a sham split in the sea and it said, this is my God. Yep. Just like Shabbat joy over here. On a side note, talking about Shabbat joy, Rabbi really said haters gonna hate. <laughs> what was that about? He did. He did. About people not accepting us and uh, calling uh, our conversions illegitimate. Identity issues. Niggas don't know who their daddy is. We know who our daddy is. Where is that verse at? No, this is this is me Kamoka Balim Adonai. Mokos on here too. Mikamoka ba ali madonai. On a side note, Mazel really quoting rap songs during a drop. Oh, Corey. Shotgun is. Yeah, shotgun is bad for your health or something. She said it. She really did. That's like, wow. What song is that? That's, uh. That's, uh. 
Oh, wow. She should not know that song. Okay, Shlomo. Yes, sir. I'm going to send you a funny video for Shavuot, okay? Sir, there you go. What y'all dropping in here? Mm. 
<laughs> okay, so the right hand, the right hand of Hashem, commentary by Ramban, elaborates that first God's right hand caused the sea to throw the dead Egyptians onto the seashore. So that the Jews could see that they were no longer in danger of pursuit. And then he caused them to be swallowed up by the earth. So fit or yeah, fifteen six. Okay, so check this out. Okay. Commenting on the word for Ba'elim. Yeah. Which, which Ba'atom translates as among the angels. Ooh. This is, uh, the Mesoretic note means that this word appears twice in the Tanakh. Here, who is like you among the angels of it, uh, angels of Shem. And in Isaiah 57 5. You who indulge your lust at the elm trees. Mm. The sages explain that the latter phrase as referring to idol worship, who is performed beneath trees. For example, mm. under the elm, elms were chosen for their for the false or for the worship of false deities because they provide shade. For there are ashrayots. Tree idols that produce fruit yet do not provide shade. Oh, but the elm, elm provides shade yet does not produce fruit. Conversely, regarding the Holy One, blessed be He, His shade is beautiful and His fruits are sweet, and He provides shade and also fruit, as it is written, in His shade I delighted, and there I sat, and His fruit was sweet to my palate. Shia Hashirim 2 3. Amen. Yeah, Baha Torah does not talk about your 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 right hand. Huh? Rashi does. It says twice when Yisrael performs the will of the omnipresent, the left hand intended for punishment becomes the right hand, bestowing reward. God has two hands, as it were. He has two hands. Yep. And they're both right. If you're <laughs> if you're serving him and seeking his will. Yeah, it says the, the left hand, which is normally meant for judgment, now becomes an instrument of mercy. Yeah, but I know, I just I just was thinking whenever uh, Moshe is asking Hashem to reveal his, his, uh, what is it, his, is this, is this greatness he's asking for, right? Glory. The glory, yeah, reveal to me your glory. Yes. He said, he says, he says mercy twice. So that's kind of interesting. Oh. Rashi would say he has two right hands. Stop it. Wow. 
Oh no. Yep. Oh no. <laughs> okay, Rashi fifteen three. Hashem Ishmael Kama. This is the Lord is a master of war, just as in Ruth 1 3. Ish is the master of Naomi. Wherever the words Ish and Isheka occur, they must be translated by Bali. So, too, be you strong and show yourself a mighty person. Yes, him and Hava. Are you, are you serious? Yes, because they didn't get kicked out of the garden for sinning in the merit of the Shabbat. Wow. So then they made the song after, yep. during that time, during Shabbat. Yeah. Wow. Production. So Yashir, the right right before he starts singing, Yashir, it says, "Would sing the term can be broken up into two words, Yod Shir, ten songs, for there are ten songs of praise mentioned in the Tanakh. Here, i.e., the song of the sea, whose second word is ten songs, the song of the well, the song of Hazinu." The song of Yehoshua, the song of Devorah, the song of Hannah, the song of David, the song of Solomon, Shehatrim, and the song of Hezekiah, and the song to be sung with the coming of the future redemption. What about the song of Moshe? That, that, that was the first one. The song, oh. the song of the, are you talking about the song of Zena? Okay, yeah, 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 no, yeah, you're right, you mentioned it. Okay. Yeah, the new song. I think. I think. Uh, is it Isaiah that mentions that one? 
Who who mentions that there'll be a new song? The the. I know, like, in, in, I think, oh, yeah, Isaiah 42, 10 through 13, and 48, Man, I tell you what, who's the with the what's with the picture with the cat? Is that David's? Must be David's cat, huh? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, singing to Adonai a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices. In the villages where Kedar dwells, let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the, all the mountains. Let this let them give pray. Let them let them give esteem to Adonai, and declare his praise in the coastlands. Adonai goes forth like a mighty man. He stirs up Arden like a fighter. He cries out, also shouts aloud. Over his enemies he shows himself mighty. I have kept silent from of old, and I have not, and I have been still and held myself back. Like a woman in labor, I cry out, I paint, pant, and I gasp at once. I lay waste mountains and hills, and I dry up all their plants. And I shall make rivers become coastlands, and I shall dry up pools. And I shall lead the blind by a way that they have not known, and past they have not known, I lead them. I make darkness light before them, and crooked places straight. These matters I shall do for them, and I shall not forsake them. Those who trust in idols, and who say to the molded images, You are our mighty ones, shall be turned back and utterly ashamed. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, and see, who is blind but my servant, and who is deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind is he who is at Shalom, and blind is as the servant of Hashem. You who see much, but do not observe. Ears are open, but do not hear. It is delighted at an eye for the sake of his righteousness, to make the Torah great and esteemed. But this is the people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes, and they are hidden in prison houses. They have become a prey with no one to deliver for plunder, and no one to say, Restore. Who among you gives ear to this, and pay attention and hears for the time to come? Who gave Yaakov for blunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not 
Adonai, he against whom he sinned, for they would not walk in his ways, and they did not obey his Torah. So he has poured out upon on him his burning displeasure and the strength of battle, and it lit him on fire all around, yet he did not understand. And it burned against him, yet he did not take it to heart. Wow. What Yeshua said, or what? What uh? Isaiah. What Yeshua talked about it too, but the Isaiah five. Isaiah five. Go on to it here. Oh, yeah. Please let me sing to the one who I love a song from my my loved one regarding his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hill, Mount Zion, right? Yeah, 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 that one. And he dug it up and cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest of vine, and built a watchtower in its midst, and also made a winepress in it. And he waited for the yielding of the grapes, but he yielded no rot, uh, yielded rotten ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, and men of Yehuda, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have been done to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Why, when I waited for the yielding of grapes, did it yield rotten ones? And now, please let me inform you what I am doing in my to my vineyard. To take away its hedge, and it shall be burned. To break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. And I shall lay it waste. And not and it's not pruned nor dug, and thorn bushes and weeds shall come up, and I command the clouds not to rain on it. And the vineyard of Adonai of hosts is the house of Israel, and the man of Yehuda is the his pleasant plant. He looked for right ruling, but see oppression and for righteousness, but see weeping. Woe to those who join house to house and who add field to field until there is no room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. In my hearing, Adonai of hosts, truly, many houses shall be laid waste, big and fine ones without inhabitant, for ten acres of vineyard yield one bath, and a omer of seed yields one ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, pursuing strong drink, and who stay up at late at night, wine inflames them, and the lyre and the harp, the tambourine and the flute and the wine are in their feasts. But they do not regard the deeds of Adonai, nor they see the work of his hands. Therefore, people have gone into exile because they have not, not they have no knowledge, and their esteem, the esteemed men, are, uh, and their esteemed men are starved, and their crowd dried up with thirst. That's starved and thirst of Torah, right? I mean, of Hashem. Yeah. And then, and then. Yeah, because, uh... I've read, I've read a commentary that the plant, the the, the choice, the choice vine was uh, was a euphemism for the for the forefathers. Oh, I was gonna. They, they, walked, they walked in his ways. That's good. I was gonna say David. 
Because it's singular vine versus, like, but I guess a vine could, you know, have several major branches to it. But that'd be like the, that'd be like the... I think the watchtower does refer to David, maybe, though. I can't remember what... I, I oh. Remember. This is a while back. That's a good point. Because a watchtower, a watchtower, yeah. That's good, yeah, I, I can see how both could I'm be... I'm not sure, I'm not sure, though, so don't, you don't, you don't have to quote me on that, I just, I... I just remember reading about that the the, the the vineyard, the choice the choice vines or the choice uh, fruit was uh, was the the avo. Yeah, that's really good. Therefore, the grave has made itself wide and opened its mouth. Without law, their splendor and their crowd, and their uproar, and he who is exulting within her shall go down into it. A man is bowed down, and mortal men humbled, and the eyes of the proud are humbled. But Adonai of hosts is exalted in judgment, and the set-apart one of the set-apart God is set apart in righteousness. The lambs shall feed in their pasture, and strangers shall eat in their waste places of, of the fat ones. Woe to those who draw wickedness with cords of falsehood, and sin is with wagon ropes. Who are saying, let him hurry, let him hasten his works, that we see it. The counsel of the set-apart one of Israel draw near and come so that we know. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to the mighty to drink, woe to the mighty to drink wine and brave men to drink strong drink. Who declare right the wicked for a bribe, and the righteousness of the righteous they turn aside from him. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as the flame consumes the chaff, their root is as rottenness, and their blossom goes up like dust, because they have rejected the Torah of Adonai of Oz, and despised the word of the set-apart one of Israel. Therefore the displeasure of Adonai is burned against his people, and he has stretched out his hand against them and smites them, and the mountains tremble, and their carcasses is as filth in the middle of the streets, with all this his displeasure is not turned back, and his hand is still stretched out, and he shall lift up a banner to the nations far off, and shall whistle to, whistle to them from the end of the earth, and see they come with speed swiftly. Not one of them is weary or stumbling, not one of them slumbers or sleeps, not a belt shall be loosened on their loins, nor the thong of their sandals be broken. Their arrows are sharp and all their bows bent, and their horses' hooves shall seem like flint, and their wheels like a, like a whirlwind. Their roar is like that of a lion, they roar like young lions, and they growl and seize prey and slip away with no one to rescue. In that day they shall growl over it as with the growling of the sea, and one shall look at the earth and see darkness and distress and light shall be darkened by the clouds. It's good. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it. Call it, man. That's good. Hey, man. You sit. 
I heard, look, look, you got that video. It's kind of funny, huh? Was, that was, yeah, I was watching that. Was was like, like, uh, uh, stay up all night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Alright, man. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom, brother. Haksameach. Haksameach. We'll see you later. Zodashim. Zodashim. Yes. Burger Joe. Oh, I'm a Burger Joe again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, that was that was cute. I wish more guys were.
Shine. That's right. Are you going to take a nap? or I don't want time. Two o'clock, right? The... Navi. Yeah. 